What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review the latest on the Burning Spirit Tour and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get our official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode Improve translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, what's going on, man? I'm here. I'm live. We're in effect. You know, it's been a wild, wild week in the world of New Japan. I mean, uh, all sorts of stuff has been going down. You know what I mean? Like, it's been wild. Yeah, it's been super hard a week to keep up with everything. So many shows, so much backstage news. Yeah, big uh, Yuji Nagata 30th anniversary match. Yeah, that was awesome. I saw it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh. yeah, man. Uh, all, all those dojo boys having their 30th or 20th anniversary on the Despi Taka shit. Other stuff happened. Cobra Kai's out this week. Been big. We sang karaoke this weekend. Lots of stuff went down. Yeah, we did. That was a pretty fun night there. Uh, a lot of the, the Largo Loop group went out there to, uh, was it Ganchu? Um, is that how you say that? Yeah. Did they charge you just $10 a head? They did, yeah. 
See, I was confused by that because it was advertised to me that it was going to be $10 per person per hour. That's what I thought thought, too. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, dang, we should have just done three hours at the way we were going. Like, because they only charged me for one hour. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if there was some kind of special going on or what the deal was, but yeah. Um, Yeah. Yo, yo, uh, okay. That's cool. But guess where I took a huge loss. Did you have any of that soju drink? No, I had the uh, the Topo Chico hard seltzer. Bro, they charged me $22 for the soju drink. I had no idea. <laughs> I would have just gotten like a lager and been done, like and been fine. I had no clue. Man, they, they worked you there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, I was complaining about it on my way home and my girlfriend's like, you should have looked at the menu. I was like, I didn't think I needed to. I didn't think I was in like an upscale establishment where, the, you know, <laughs> you're going to charge me for bottle service and shit. Like, Well, Ganshu seems to be you know, the finest of fine establishments. No, Ganshu was cool. Um, I will tell you. I, so, you know, last week we were talking about, I think we, we talked a little bit about going out and doing the karaoke thing. I got to tell you, it was fun. But um, the karaoke I normally do is done in a wide open bar with tons of drunk people, smoke filled rooms, just like the old days of wrestling before Vincent Kenny McMahon <laughs> saved wrestling. <laughs> but the sound system is better in the places that I play. Like, you know, so like I didn't really know what the setup was going to be or our situation. So I was like, I better, uh, better think about some songs I could sing that might sound okay. And then we get there and um, it didn't matter because that sound system was like so like just everything melded into each other that you basically just had to scream as loud as you could to like try to. So I don't think that room that we sang in was designed to like for audio to where like you're supposed to actually sound good. It's just people being belligerent and acting a fool, which was fun. Uh, We sang a bunch of crazy songs and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, saying uh, cult personality. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, that was the only song that we all sounded good because we all knew exactly how it was supposed to be. <laughs> oh, man. I'm a little disappointed, man. They need to update their library. There was no uh, Judas, uh, Fozzie. I was trying to get, get my Judas on with none, none of that. They didn't have any of the NJPW collection whatsoever. I was going to sing Goto. <laughs> I was going to didn't have the uh, the Tai Chi theme, you know, could have did my best Tai Chi impersonation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have WWE Anthology. They didn't have, you know. Ruthless Aggression. Ruthless Aggression. None of it. I was trying to sing, you know, some of the the, the rap versions of the themes. I was going to sing the greatest wrestling theme song in the history of wrestling. Uh, uh, Real American? Yeah, Real American. (laughs) Oh, man. I have to appropriate it. Take <laughs> yeah. it back from the racist. <laughs> <laughs> that that should be your theme when, if you, uh, when you start wrestling again. Taking, taking wrestling back from the racist? No, taking real American theme. Like, you, so that it's no longer associated with Hulk Hogan. It's associated no, with... I think that my theme just in general in res- like in the Florida Indies should be I'm taking wrestling back from the racists, meaning <laughs> you people are racists. So you're going to be a heel then? Yeah, in, in Florida, <laughs> that would be a heel. 
That would be a heel gimmick, absolutely. <laughs> Bro, I remember we used to uh so uh nothing's going on. So we could we could be a little off topic for a minute, but uh there was like a year and a half there where we were going to Tampa Bay Pro shows every other like Sunday night. We'd go down to the roundup mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> on Hillsboro. And um, you know, this this little this is the uh group that was associated with uh um what's jay lethal's the lethal academy so jay lethal all his trainees they all get started out at tampa bay pro and um you know all the guys that are good guys in this because we're at a place we're at a a cowboy country line dancing bar that's where they like hosted the shows uh the other and then on the off weeks they were having it at the uh I don't know some flea market. Yeah, the I think it was the Tampa Bay flea market. Yeah, down Just in the wheel wheel Oldsmark. wagon flea market. These were all places. If wrestling wasn't there, I would never be in a million years. Either <laughs> one of them. So, anyways, we'd go to the shows, and everybody that is either a goth like rocker or a cowboy is like absolutely one hundred percent the baby face, and and you know the trashy like you know country people just like fucking love them, and then. Like anybody of any sort of other color or persuasion, whether they be Hispanic or black, uh, are automatically the heels. Just period. And like it doesn't really matter what their gimmick is, they're heels. <laughs> but the funny thing is, like the most highly trained people that were coming out of that school typically were those individuals. And like you know, we weren't rocking with you know people that were, I don't know, trying to be like Rob Zombie, knock, like white zombie, like knockoffs and, uh, you know, someone that looked like they like should have been a driver in Twisted Metal. Like we were, we were rocking with like the OAO. Yeah. And, like Troy, yeah. Troy Hollywood. Troy Hollywood. Snoop Strikes. Yeah. And they'd get booed by the racist crowd for literally just being black and being there. <laughs> <laughs> but they were the best wrestlers. So we like on the weekly be like you, me, and Rich getting into chant battles with the entire crowd of <laughs> you know Hillsborough County like white trash people. Yeah, it was it Great. was it was wild. Those were some fun shows, and yeah, it was always fun getting behind uh, Troy and Snoop, especially when they were in, in the main events against you know guys, uh, you know the the country gimmick or the the golf gimmick guys, the rockers that are supposed to be you know. The crowd favorites, and we're like, nah, we're cheering for OAO. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you can't have those gimmicks and be a babyface. Of course you can. I mean, cowboyism is a very real thing throughout the histories of wrestling. You know, just look at Bret Hart, cowboy. <laughs> yeah, we had a whole uh, one day in the Larger Loop third. We had a whole thing of going through all the cowboy wrestlers in wrestling. Macho Man Randy Savage, cowboyism. <laughs> but no, um. Yeah, so I mean, you can be liked, but literally in this one territory, it was literally like they just liked people that were specifically of a Caucasian persuasion, and anybody else was literally the heel, and uh, we didn't rock with that, and we'd be out there. Remember when, um, I always thought this was funny, the the top title in their company is called the Tampa Bay Pro World <laughs> Championship, so you are the world champion of, of Tampa Bay. Of Tampa Bay. <laughs> When um when Troy Hollywood was champion, we we would chant "Real World's Champ." People get mad, <laughs> <laughs> as if as if he's on some like Ric Flair and WWF sort of stuff. The real world's champ. There there are a lot of world champions running around Florida. People <laughs> people need to know at that moment in time, 
in 2018 that Troy Hollywood was the real world champion in Florida. Tampa Bay. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one time we were at a show. We can move on after this, but there was like a big post-match angle and some outside group came and attacked and everyone bladed. And I was like, for this? (laughs) You guys... You guys bladed for this? Like, <laughs> this is bad. You guys, I, they're definitely not getting paid much. Like, they're just trainees, and they're, like, bleeding out like stuffed pigs. I'm like, this is, someone needs to put a stop to this. Like, I don't know who's in charge of this. It, it was a hot angle. They're trying to build a blood feud. They're trying to get the people back. You know, red equals green. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they didn't need everyone to bleed. Everyone bled. There was, like, eight people. They're all bleeding. <laughs> oh, man. Good old Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling days. Well, let's talk about uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, as you can tell, as we're you know twelve minutes in, we haven't really talked a lot yet because the really- that's actually not that bad compared to a lot of podcasts. I mean, sometimes I listen to One Nation Radio and like they just be talking and talking about rap and music and sports and you know pop culture. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm like, <laughs> get to the wrestling, okay, guys. I don't want to hear about politics right now. Get to the wrestling. Well, uh, speaking of One Nation Radio, shout out to those guys. <laughs> they had their 10-year uh, anniversary episode that dropped on the, the network feed last night. So if you guys are big fans of Social Suplex, One Nation Radio, make sure you check out that episode. Big, long episode. They go through you know their favorite wrestlers and matches of the last 10 years of doing one Nation Radio. It's a really uh, fun episode to listen to, so make sure you check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just joking about those guys. They always do great, even in the opening segments. Even I think they're, I don't know if there are episodes where they don't even talk about wrestling, but I think that has to have at least existed on some level probably early on. And yeah. everything they ever... In the early days was a lot of, I think, a mix of like NBA, NFL, right. and wrestling. There, yeah, I think there were, there were a few episodes where they didn't talk about wrestling at all. But you know what? I've done two episodes with them that were non-wrestling. I did a Rocky episode. No, did I? No, no, no. It was Black Panther. We did a Black Panther episode. Um, did we do a Rocky episode? I we might have. I thought you guys did. We might have. Or at least you talked about it, <laughs> doing one. <laughs> we definitely did a Black Panther episode one time, which was funny. I feel like there's something else we we did an episode. I don't remember. But anyway, shout out to those guys. Um, me and Jeremy were both fortunate enough to uh, be able to send in uh, congratulation audio drops. Uh, so if you listen to the show, you'll hear that, but you know, uh, just want to reiterate again, how grateful we are for those guys and all the hard work they put in and, you know, 10 years of great audio and I'm sure they'll, you know, continue to put out more. Yeah. And like you mentioned in your audio message, you know, there, there might not be a keeping it strong style or a social suplex podcast network. If one nation radio didn't exist and we didn't meet rich and James and become friends with those guys. Yeah, and I mean, also, shout out to the SMC podcast, because that's the real, you know, foundation of Social Suplex Podcast Network. So. <laughs> shout out, Caleb. Caleb, Rance, Kyle, thank you guys. <laughs> I know none of them are listening, too. That's the funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, congratulations to uh, One Nation Radio. You know, oh, I got to say one, one last thing. I was a little, a little jealous because okay, we did an episode where we asked for some video drops, and we had some fantastic ones. But some of those uh, One Nation radio fans, they felt like they wrote a little harder for them than you know people write for us. I don't know. 
I don't like that. You know, this uh, is the flagship. <laughs> okay. I felt like we had a lot of good audio messages also. We did. They were great. But like, I want next time seven star only. We're going to screen them. And if they're not up to par, cut. You got to do it again. <laughs> yeah, we'll send it back to you. <laughs> Hey, I really liked what you did here, but what could use a little bit of improvement. If you want to just expand on this thought here, that would we would feel good about that. So maybe 30 seconds more of audio. Send that to us by the end of the week. Yes. Love Jeremy and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But all right, let's uh, jump into this stuff here. Uh, last week, we only had one show that made tape or gets aired on New Japan World, the second Cork and Hall no, show. No, we didn't. Today's show made tape. It came out like an hour ago. I watched it. The guy showed it, it did? Yeah, I watched it. You mi- You didn't watch it? No, I didn't. Oh, you missed it? Okay. Well, I guess I'll have to review it without you. Wow, you're slacking, bro. You're not <laughs> dedicated. You're not about this life like me. I mean, I've been checking all day today. I didn't see it up there. It's not out. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we did have the uh, the Cork and Hall show that was uh, September 6th. It was the second show, and it was a, a fan-sharing show also. Following yeah, I up. wanted to smack myself after last week complaining that it wouldn't be cheering, and then, of course it was. Like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's all good. I don't think it was very clear that both of those shows was going to be fan-sharing, but it was, so we had another Cork and show with fans being able to cheer. So I'll just run through these results real quick here. So we had the opening contest, uh, Suzuki, Taka, and Kanemaru. They defeated the Young Lions, uh, Fujita, Oiwa, and Nakashima. We had the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Udro, defeating Goto, Yo, Yoshihashi, and the DKC. The Bullet Club team of Bad Luck, Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikaleo defeated Gideon Gray, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb of the United Empire. Then we had Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, and TJP of the United Empire defeating Wato Deguchi and Jado. Kushida and Hanma defeated the Bullet Club team of Gato and Taiji Shimori. Despi, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. Semi-main event, Badu Tito, Jonah, and Shane Hayes defeated Okada, Yano, and Tanahashi. And then the main event, El Fantasmo and Kenta defeat the LIJ team of Hiromu Takahashi and Shingo Takagi. You ready for my hot take on this show? Yeah. Okay, this might not be popular with other individuals, and they might disagree, but they would be wrong. Because my hot take is that this night's uh, show was superior to the night uh, prior. Really? I thought so. Did you not think so? I think I enjoyed it equally. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, I did. I liked it better. I thought that this had a, a better flow. I felt like the crowd was just as lively. Um, and in some cases felt maybe even a little bit more acclimated and free in their cheering on this night than they did on, on the fifth. Uh, it didn't necessarily have the same those same magic moments like the first Kaze Ninare or the first Naito entrance with, you know, with the cheering didn't have quite that, but I felt like this crowd was a little bit more attentive and more hype as weird as that sounds, even though it's the next night. And I liked the matches better, just generally speaking, including the main event. And there was also not major stuff, but there was angles and, 
things that were actually building up for, you know, the remainder of the tour, which was something we talked about last week was a little bit lacking on the previous night's show. So altogether, I found this to be a little bit of an easier watch and more enjoyable. Yeah, you talk about the uh, the Never Six Man title match. You know, they're building up that angle with the bringing out the dog cages and the, the dog house, and we'll talk about that stipulation in a little bit here, but they're building that up for that six-man title match that's coming up this coming Sunday in Beppu. Um, and also, you know, building up the junior title match with Kushida and Ishimori, um, building up the Naito and Sonata match against Dangerous Techers, Okada and Jonah. So I feel like there's a lot more direction. ELP and Shingo as well. Saw more, yeah, more. even like the Nagata Okan post match, uh, you know, was something. I mean, we're not talking about major angles, but this was more in line with what I expect from a from your major road to Cork and Hall type shows. So that's what we got here. Even uh, the first match of the night, which was that six man tag with uh, Suzuki Goon and um, the Young Lions, I felt like they told a pretty cool story where all the lions were trying their best to get under the skin of Suzuki and maybe, you know, take their best shot at the King. And, uh, it didn't work. And he was able to kind of manhandle all of them, including specifically Yuto Nakashima, who, uh, what's going on with his hair? You're doing a little, little Afro. Yeah. But it's like looking kind of like Kramer from, uh, Seinfeld a little bit. Like he needs to tame it or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, oh, I can, uh, grow, I can grow my hair back? All right. <laughs> there was a spot at the beginning of the match where they did a triple drop kick, the three of them, like they were the uh, the Von Erics, but Nakashima, his was significantly worse yeah. <laughs> than Oiwa and uh, Fujita's. But yeah, man, I thought I liked this one. I liked the opener quite a bit. I like Suzuki just taking the lines to task and, you know, beating them up. That's always fun. Yeah, and he... Uh put out Nakashima with just a choke. He didn't go for the, the gotch. Yeah, well, the funny thing was, like, I listened to this on delay, and maybe part of the reason I enjoyed it more was having Kevin Kelly on the call on the, uh, you yeah, know. English commentary, yeah. Yeah, and um, he kind of, you know, he, he was, like, suggesting at the end, he's like, what's he going to do? Is he going to try to pin this guy? Is he going to submit him? Oh, is he going to go for the knockout? Oh, no, he's just going to choke him unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that was a fun match. I feel like the crowd was really behind the Young Lions. Um, I think that Oi was the man out of those three so far. Um, that's that's the guy I like the most right now. Yeah. Although sometimes I feel like maybe you and I jumped the gun a little a little bit from like we were so impressed early on that we're we were ready to crown these dudes, and it's it, I think that we did see a glimpse of something special in the beginning. For sure, and I'm not saying that that's not there, but I feel like they let them go out there and showcase that, and then they kind of rein them in, and we're like, all right, let's get down to the basics. Let's you know break you down so we can build you back up because for a while there, they kind of just reverted to what we expect from young lions, and now now we're finally starting to see them add a little bit more flair and personality into what they're doing. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't seen these guys have singles matches against each other in a while, so I'm curious to see. Whenever the next time that they wrestle, how much they improve from that first time, and we thought they were pretty good. They're very good. But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, House of Torture and Chaos, they had a huge brawl. There was dog cages involved, and it's clearly leading to the upcoming Never 
open weight six man tag, which there has been a stipulation added to that, which we can uh, talk talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it got kind of wild there during this match. Yeah, and, and once again, crowd booing House of Torture seems to be very into you know the Chaos team being these guys down, getting revenge on those guys. Um, also thought it was pretty funny in the uh, Empire versus Bullet Club match, uh, Gideon Gray tapping out to uh, Hikaleo just putting a choke hole on him, going for a choke slam. Yeah, well, he was going to get choke slammed, and he's like, fuck that, tap out, tap out, tap out. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even, even get lifted off the air before he tapped out. <laughs> um, also, Jeff Cobb body slammed Hikaleo in that match. He did, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But, uh, yeah, if anyone was wondering what, what they're going to get out of Gideon Gray, this is kind of what you can expect here. You know, a lot of comedy, a lot of hijinks. He's the pin eater guy. And uh, he adds a lot of personality and kind of flavor to the, you know, United Empire's group as, as a whole. Um, aside from that, you know, I think that they're telling a pretty good story with six or nine going up against uh, uh, the United Empire team. Because it seems that basically on paper and the way it's playing out, six or nine is just not as good as Francesco Acura and TJP. And there's probably a lot of fans who would also say that that's not a kayfabe thing that's also you know how it actually is in real life yeah so they're kind of really even though they're former champions they really are established at this point as like major underdogs and if they're gonna beat uh this united empire team they're gonna have to basically wrestle a perfect match because they're kind of getting owned by them yeah pretty much every night out yeah they've been getting uh whooped by the empire um, pretty crazy to think that this is um, these first two Cork and Chills are cheering the first time that Master Watto has wrestled in front of a cheering crowd. Um, yeah, he debuted. well since before his excursion. Yeah, yeah, pre-excursion. Yeah, but as far as being Master Watto and coming back from excursion, first time really you know hearing from the fans and the fans seem to be digging him so far. I prefer Harai Watto. <laughs> um, yeah, also. You know, we had Kushida and um, the Bullet Club team of Gato and Taiji Shimori facing off. And um, one thing, and I we've said this before, but it's becoming more and more apparent. I think Hanma has, like, made a lot of great strides to being, like, a... I don't want to say a great wrestler or anything, but, like, competent. Remember how scared we were for a while there? Yeah, when he first came back from the neck injury, yeah. Yeah, and since then we've seen him have good matches with like Suzuki and I, a couple others in like single situations and in these tag matches. Like I'm not saying like he's going out there and he's, you know, like impressing the world, but he also doesn't look like a major liability or someone that doesn't belong in there, which tells me he probably put in a lot of hard work to kind of get back to at least uh, a clean base level as a performer. Yeah, definitely put some work in. The man's trying to get back in the G1. But that should tell you a little bit. Uh, in a match with Kushida and Taiji Ishimori, the first person I want to talk about is Hanma, which tells you how little heat I feel about this entire feud between Kushida and Ishimori and yeah. Kushida just in general. And also, you know what? Ishimori's champion too. Yeah, I feel like the, that whole feud is really cold, and I think it's partly on New Japan as far as like bad timing. <laughs> Like, why would they start this feud right before the G1, knowing that they can't really do anything to heat it up during G1, and then now we have to wait till after G1, and it's, it's just gotten cold now. Yeah. 
Plus, yeah, absolutely. Plus, just the presentation of Kushida has been a little bit lackluster as well. Yeah. Just kind of feels like we're rehashing old, you know, I don't know, just going through the same old, same old motions that we've gone through a million times with him. There's not anything new or compelling here. And I don't even really know what his motivations or uh, reasoning for what he's doing. I mean, obviously all wrestlers want to be champions, so you don't need much more motivation than that, but like he's hardly articulated it. He's hardly done anything to establish himself as a character or, you know, kind of reintegrate himself into the company. He just, I don't know. It just feels weird. Well, yeah, it's like we said last week. He, it feels like he's doing a tribute act to himself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there hasn't been any like new character development, no new twist. To like, it's, it's pretty much like, all right, yeah, we're gonna, the best of Kushida, like tribute cover band, like Kushida, and it's like, okay, like, what's yeah, what's the motivation? What's the, any new character? Like, what? Like, give us something here. It's just like, all right, Kushida's back, and it's literally back to to the same old, literally where he was when he left New Japan. Well, even think about, like, Hiromu. He's been injured plenty of times and had to take absences and then returned. And he wasn't necessarily a whole different character every time or anything like that. But when he came back, it just felt like, oh, my God, he's still here. And, you know, say what you will about the repetitive nature of his, you know, uh, IWGP title wins and his uh, Super Junior wins. At least he's someone that comes in with, like, a splash and a flair. And, like, there's, you know there's just something there that's like magnetic that you can kind of like gravitate to with Kushida. It's just like, Oh yeah. I don't know. He, he just feels like the same guy as like when he left, which was like what? 2018, yeah. early 2019. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like he literally did go into a time machine and came right back. <laughs> and like Nothing changed. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I think they should have probably waited after G1 to debut him and kick off this feud of Ishimori, do the big, we don't even have an announced date yet for that title match. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be a declaration of power since it's not going to not going to do it in Kobe. Uh, but I feel like it's been way too stretched out. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, I think that the sixth match of the night, we saw Despi, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. take on Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. And, um, you know, this feud that's going on with Techers and, and LIJ has been interesting, but... You know, I kind of have the same sentiment about most of these feuds. Uh, probably other than Okada and Jonah, a lot of this kind of just feels like, I been, don't know. Been there, done that. Yeah, a little been there, a little done that. Um, like, it's good. The, now, don't get me wrong. These two shows have been good, and it's great that there's the excitement of cheering fans back. But the feuds themselves feel a little lackluster. But then again, I don't want to get too um, like critical about it because, again, it, it's September, and this is sort of what you expect coming out of a G1. Right. Normally it would be an, a destruction tour, and it's essentially the same format, different name. Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of what you would expect. But at the same time, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Sometimes, like, I guess I'm just selfish. I want more. Right, I feel like, you know, especially coming off G1, coming off that incredible Okada-Osprey match, like, all right, like, I'm ready for these awesome matches, and now we're kind of taking the foot off the gas, and we're kind of, you know, gliding through uh, the fall right now. Did you ever see that uh, phone commercial 
the dude's like talking to the kids about getting more cell phone minutes and the girl's like we want more we want more yes. we really like it <laughs> that's what i'm like about new japan I'm like i just want more you know <laughs> we really like it but um yeah the strange thing that we kind of talked about here um was that the semi-main event featured tmdk against chaos which most of these burning spirit shows have featured them in the main event but it's whatever um still pretty high on the tmdk unit um still think that the jonah okada feud is the one thing that seems to have a lot of juice behind it Mm -hmm. in this uh which makes sense because that's going to be the top headlining feud anyways and these matches have been pretty um pretty good i i think that okada and jonah have a lot of really get uh great chemistry in these matches and i'm looking forward to seeing what they're gonna do you know when they headline yeah that should be a fun rematch and looking forward to seeing what direction they go there and yeah tmdk has been a really good unit with um jonah badu tito and shane haste and it looks like uh, Badu, Tito, and Shane Hayes teamed up this past weekend on the latest Strong taping, so I'm not sure what's up with Mikey Nichols, but uh, I'm down with uh, Shane Hayes and Badu, Tito kind of becoming, you know, the new team. I'm down with the sickness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, Jonah uh, won this match getting a splash victory over a top rope. What is his move called when he comes off the top the, rope? Uh, torpedo. Yeah, he hit the torpedo off the top rope onto Toriano, getting a measure of revenge over one of the only men to beat him in the G1 this year. So that was cool. And then your main event was ELP and Kenta against Hiromu and Shingo. I really did enjoy this match quite a bit. I thought it was a very good Cork and Hall main event. The only issue was the kind of flat sort of cheating finish, Mm -hmm. um, which worked in a certain concept context because you know they're they're telling this story that elp is sort of owning um shingo in almost every encounter they have and he's getting the crowd to chant elp is your daddy (laughs) that was pretty funny (laughs) yeah and then after the match he put a, a diaper on shingo's head so that stuff's all funny and obviously like he has to find ways to win without hurting the credibility of shingo so to make the angle work they need to find you know, creative ways. And in this case, they cheated. There was a ref bump and then a distraction. And then he uh, punched Shingo in the dick and hit him with a uh, small package for the one, two, three. My only issue is if you're going to do that finish, maybe don't have this match headline the show. I don't know. That didn't feel like the way you end a Cork and Hall show with that finish, even though the baby faces still got come up and set the end and ended up, even though they lost, they still ended up closing out the show with promos between, you know, Hiromu and Shingo. It just, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I liked that they had this as the main event felt like maybe it's the wrong call. I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, it probably would have been a better ending if you just had TMDK kind of closing the show out after they once again, beat chaos, hype those guys up. I do understand wanting to heat up, you know, ELP and also add some steam to this ELP Shingo rivalry. But yeah, I feel like they could have done a different finish for ELP to still win um, and kind of get over on Shingo. But yeah, it felt more of like a match that should have been semi-main or higher up in the card with the finish. But I am liking the Shingo and ELP rivalry. Uh, 
like we mentioned last week, ELP has been very creative, you know, cutting his hair like Shingo. The ELP is my daddy shirt. He's getting the crowd a chant, you know, uh, Shingo's daddy. Um, now, you might say that that haircut looks like Shingo, but it kind of reminds me of a different former Bullet Club member, if you know what I'm saying. Who? Bro, in the back, he looks like Kenny. Mm. Yeah, there's like photos, and for a second, I was like, I, I like got confused. I'm like, oh my God, he looks like Kenny Omega in his heyday. <laughs> well, he back keep... when he was in his prime. Back he... when he was the face. Back when, when he didn't he... get in it. Yeah, didn't get into fights. Yeah, when he wasn't sit rescuing dogs from backstage <laughs> brawls. Well, you know, ELP keeps trying to hit the one wing angel, so maybe he figured he needs the haircut to be able to, to finally hit it. Possibly. But uh, that's pretty much it. I don't have any other thoughts on this show. Did you have any last you know, thoughts or insights? No, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Like you mentioned, uh, there was the angle after uh, the Bullet Club United Empire match with uh, Great Okan. Nagata was on commentary. and He got in Nagata's face because they were facing off on the uh, September 11th show that uh, has not aired yet, but was uh, it's going to be video on demand. They were the main event, so they kind of heated that match up, and the crowd turned on Okan to chant Nagata, and Okan was not happy about that. Um, besides yes. that, so coming up, uh, even though it's it hasn't aired yet, obviously two days ago there was a September 11th Burning Spirit Night Eight show that will be aired on video on demand, um, and most of the show pretty much is other various versions of the preview matches that we've already discussed on this episode. The main highlight, though, is that in the main event, you have Yuji Nagata's 30th anniversary match, which will be a singles match between Yuji Nagata and Great Okan. Um, and then coming up in this upcoming week, Burning Spirit in Beppu, which will be September 18th, 2022. Um, we have the card here. We'll be reviewing it next week. We've got the Bull Club team of ELP and Kenta taking on Bushi and Shingo. Uh, the Bull Club team of Fale, Owens, and Hikaleo taking on Gideon Gray, Okan, and Jeff Cobb of the United Empire. Third match, Taichi, Taka, and ZSJ versus the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. Fourth match will be Great Bash Hill and Okada. That's a funny uh, grouping. <laughs> <laughs> versus uh, the TMDK trio of Tito, Jono, and, uh, and uh, Shane Haste. Fifth match of the night, six or nine, David Finley and the DKC versus... United Empire team of Hanare, Akira, TJP, and Osprey. And then uh, sixth match of the night, we have the never openweight six-man tag team title match, which has seen a rule change. It will now be a dog cage survival match between Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi as they defend against the House of Torture team of Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi. And we have quite a few questions about this, actually. Yeah, so uh, first, the, the rules, so it's going to be uh, tornado rules, there will be no tags, and submissions and pinfalls can can count by anyone on anyone. Additionally, in each of the four sides of the ring at ringside will be a dog cage. Teams can opt to lock an opponent inside one of the four cages to eliminate them from the match. Should all three members of a team be shut in a cage, the match will end. Uh, we had a question here from uh, Matthew Taiwati. Taiwati. I'm not sure if I'm saying that last name correctly. I've never known how to pronounce his name. <laughs> uh, from Matthew, he says, uh, "Can Josh recommend any classic 
Tornado Dog Cage survival matches from the archives, preferably with Inoki or the Three Musketeers. And uh, Rambo and Slam Pig says, what kind of bullshit is this trio's dog cage? Whatever match. Gato is killing me. On a related note, setting aside the two-hour-long Hidden Island Survival Deathmatch, what is the weirdest match in NJPW history? Huh. Uh, good questions. Um, yeah. So, no, I can't name any other classic Tornado Dog <laughs> Survival <laughs> Cage matches from the archives. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's never been one involving Anoki or any of the Three Musketeers. <laughs> I'm actually looking online, and there are, on record, according to Cage Match, three dog cage matches of all time. Two of them have occurred already in New Japan, and both involved Toriano. But there was one match from a company called BEW Empire Fights Back number four. This is from London, England, back in 2017. The match was called the Damien's Dog Cage Match, and it involved a man by the name of, you guessed it, Damien, <laughs> as he defeated someone by the name of Jack Quinn. I don't think that this match made tape. So uh, there's not a deep, deep history of, dog cage matches there was the dog kennel from hell match i was about to bring that up yeah yeah al snow and big boss man yeah great trailer does that does that count probably <laughs> one of the worst matches that have ever existed ever <laughs> um but yeah as far as weirdest matches in new japan history i'd probably have to say like the ones involving like women just generally is that, is that a joke or seriously? <laughs> yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> I don't know because you know it is kind of weird that that they have <laughs> a woman's match on a New Japan card, especially back in the day. You, you know, the funny thing is, if you actually go through the archives of New Japan's like matches and history, they have quite they've had quite a few wrestling matches involving women. Um, they just never ever fleshed out an actual division, but uh. There have been plenty of times, even going back to like the 70s and 80s, where they're not on tape necessarily. But if you look through like the archives, you can like through cage match records and stuff like that, you can find quite a few women's matches in New Japan for, you know, every now and again. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But um, strangest matches. I don't know. Um, Well, you know, Anoki was having these nail floor death bat deathbed matches where they would like put um boards with nails at the bottom of the ring so you know if you fell out you would fall into a bed of nails so it was essentially like you couldn't leave the ring uh, basically yeah uh, those existed i don't know um obviously like the death matches when uh, onita was there and you know the great nita and onita they had like big dome show death matches you know explosion time bomb barbed wire board exploding blah 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 those were weird um i can't think about too many other ones i mean we've seen a few things over the past few years uh, like all the uh kopw stuff a lot of kopw um kenny omega had that ladder match that one time i mean that wasn't weird well, I guess... for new japan that's weird yeah i guess Guess so, yeah. 
there's only been like two ladder ma- three ladder matches in the company's history. That's true, yeah. Uh the Konami death the Konami cage death match. Actually, that one's really there's the one with Murakami and um Tanahashi and it's it's actually on New Japan World so you can find it. It's a empty arena Konami cage death match. That's got to be one of the weirdest ones cuz they're wrestling in the cage in an empty arena. For what reason, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, that seems really weird. <laughs> and, the, and the rules don't really make sense to me. That's probably one of the weirdest ones. Yeah. There's a few others, but yeah. Oh, uh, maybe also like the mixed style matches back in the day. You Bro, know. What goes like the MMA kind of versus wrestler kind of thing? Yeah, like they'd have mixed style matches and it would be like rounds and different rules and yeah. Also, that New Japan sometimes had kickboxing matches on their shows. <laughs> Just randomly. Super random. <laughs> yeah, like Benny Iroquitas and different people, like Benny the Jet and different people would, like, come out and fight. It's like, why? <laughs> uh, so how are you feeling about this uh, stipulation here for this never six-man title match? I don't know. It's... Uh, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, it, it's it's a trash stipulation for a trash you know, faction that I don't give a fuck about. So it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get, like, people like Rambo and Slam Pig and other people kind of being outraged um, about this match stipulation. But at the same time, I mean, it's never six-man titles. It's House of Torture. Yo's in the match. <laughs> as, as, as long as you're keeping House of Torture. Your, your reasoning is because Yo is in the match? <laughs> Uh, I feel as long as you're keeping those guys contained into their little six-man world and it's not bleeding into, like, if this was, like, a world title match, if this was, like, Evil versus Naito in a dog cage survival match, then I'd definitely be more frustrated. But because it's a narrow six-man titles. It's like this, Rambo and Slam Pig. You can be right and wrong all at the same time. Like, are you right? Like, is this a terrible gimmick? Yeah. Are you right that, like, Gato probably shouldn't be booking shit like this? Yeah. But are you wrong in the sense that, like, the time for outrage is long past overdue? Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't – I can't get outraged at this. I I have to be outraged in 2020 when they put the title on evil. I have to be outraged. <laughs> Which we were. <laughs> I have to be outraged last year when they fucked up show. You know, like – the time for outrage is long gone. In fact, this is an improvement over the terror. <laughs> it is, bro. It is. It's this is a massive, massive. And I, this that's not hyperbole. This is not me overstating something. This is a huge improvement over what they were doing with House of Torture just two years ago. So it's kind of like I don't know. I could stop watching New Japan or I could just kind of like suck it up <laughs> and accept that this is this is what it's going to be for a little while. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, as long as those guys are contained in doing six man stuff and it's not bleeding into main event, you know, single tiles matches, then uh, it, it's whatever. Uh, I mean, they've actually been kind of building it up with it's dog cage has been a key thing in this whole rivalry between these two teams. Um, so very, it cute. might be funny. I yeah. don't know. 
here's the other thing too you don't have to watch it and i'm not saying that like in a in the dickish way like if you don't like it turn it off no i mean like legit you guys aren't us you don't have, <laughs> you don't have to watch we have to like i don't have a jeremy will know if i didn't watch it and then i'll get beat after the show is over and, <laughs> you know so that's different if, if you guys don't watch it and you don't tell anybody i i promise you life will go on and you'll be fine i, I bet you most new japan fans don't even really know who who the six-man tag team champions are right now in fact i i almost was confused when i saw that chaos were the champions i forgot dude honestly that they even won the belts honestly i don't even know how many people are, are even watching this burning spirit tour like you i don't can- even know how many people are downloading these shows anymore i mean our numbers are <laughs> down no 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 they're actually still pretty good considering this tour has been pretty like uneventful so far oh i i did the accounting for all the downloads i know we're up <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah um it's it'll be it'll be fine we'll get through it it'll be another how the torture match that happens at least at least Ishii's not his good name isn't being sullied <laughs> by being involved in this match. Yeah. Oh man. And then in the main event, we have uh ten man tag team elimination match, the Josh Smith special, win the bull club team of Doc Gallows, Gato, Jay White, Carl Anderson, and Taiji Ishimori take on the team of Gorillas of Destiny, along with Jado. Oh wait, so by Geodi you mean Jado and Tamatanga. Uh, teaming with Tanahashi, Kushida, and Toru Yano. So, eclectic group there. And uh, I don't know. I feel like if, I, if it was me, I'd put the never open weight six man tag team titles in the main event spot, you know, where they belong. <laughs> you know, not, not building up the, the world title uh, picture? Well, the, the world title picture is not uh, being factored in in the seventh match of the night. Uh, yeah, it is. Jay White and Tamatonga are in that match. Oh my god. <laughs> you, do you know why I was confused there? Because you forgot Tamatonga is challenging? No, because I forgot Jay White was champion. Because <laughs> you know who I thought was champion? Okada? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking Okada and um, Jonah is like the premier match of the tour. I forgot that the world title was up. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, this is the first time Jay and Tama will be on the tour since being in the G1. So. Right. Right. So what does that tell you? Like, this whole time, I've been thinking that the whole tour is about Okada and uh, Jonah. Well, it pretty much has been until this this Sunday. Once you get some of these guys back, you're going to have Jay back, Carl, Tama, Osprey, and um, David Finley are back on the tour as well. For the strap, though. Yeah. Okada was going to defend his world title against Jonah. Well, I mean, Okada is champion. He, he's G1 champion. Oh, okay. But he, he's not defending it, though. So even, <laughs> but if he, he does <laughs> even, if he's, even if he loses, like, Jonah still has to go challenge Jay White or something. You know what? I'm kind of glad, though, because remember, like, last year with, um, and, and just all the different times when they did the double gold dash, somehow Jay White just happened to always magically come out on top with the negotiations. Yeah. <laughs> and now that he is the champion and he's kind of getting screwed by Okada, it kind of feels right. It does, yeah. <laughs> come up and... Oh, man. But those are the uh, 
really exciting shows that are coming up over this next week. Riveting. This bur- the, the Burning Spirit Tour is by far the top tour of 2022. Oh, it's lighting the world on fire. Yeah. There's a reason why it's called Burning Spirit. And then with World Tag League around the corner, I mean, God, we are. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, let's jump into New Japan Strong real quick. Uh, so that we had night one of the Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour. So opening contest, we had Mascot Arata defeating Mysterioso and 9 minutes 41 seconds. Robbie Fucking ruled. Yeah, it, actually, yeah, it was a really uh, fun matchup. I thought this whole entire show was awesome. Yeah, definitely so much better than uh, the previous tour. Um, all of it. All of it combined. If you took that entire show, it's not better than these three matches. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so you had Dorada and Mysterioso, really fun matchup there. Fast-paced, these guys, you know, doing a lot of cool lucha spots. And uh, Mascara Dorada, you know, hulking up the, the bigger Mysterioso on his shoulders hit him with that uh, Dorada drive or whatever he calls it to get the win. That move was awesome. I liked when uh, Dorada tried to do a uh, flying, like a flipping senton out off the top rope or over the top rope. And, Mysterioso caught him on the outside and just yeah. fucking muscled him and threw him into the barricade. Yeah, yeah I like this match a lot. I, Bro, I really like Mysterioso. So do I. You know, it's so weird. He's been a part of, like, New Japan of America slash Strong from, like, way back when they did those, like, um, Lions Break shows, like, way back in the day. And he still hasn't been brought over to Japan yet. One other thing, too, I noticed on the show, and I know I've said this in the past, but I'm saying this with with a lot more conviction this time. I think Alex Koz, Kozlov, right? Yeah, Kozlov, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. I think Alex Kozlov has gotten better on commentary, and I think it has something to do with Ian Riccoboni helping him, or like just, I don't know, his guidance or osmosis. But then I think to, <laughs> But then I think to myself, you know, Caprice Coleman's pretty good. But I used to think he really fucking sucked. I mean, terrible. And he worked with Riccoboni for a long time, and then he kind of got good. Like, is Ian Rock Riccoboni like the shitty commentator, like Whisper? He he might be, because, yeah, I, I do agree with you that Kozlov is getting better, and they have a really good chemistry. And I just think it works out. You know, Kozlov is kind of that smarmy kind of heel commentator versus, you know, you have Ian Riccoboni, kind of the, the goody two-shoe, kind of call it straight um commentator and i think they they play off each other really well and whatever ian's doing he's definitely helping kind of guiding cause off and help really helping him to establish his commentary style oh since we're on strong and it's not in the news did you see danny limelight is free agent now he's not signed anywhere he said yeah i did see that yeah so i wonder what that means for team filthy yeah i feel like he's probably one of those guys who didn't have a con a new Japan of America contract and they're just bringing it in per date basis. I, I'm guessing. I thought he was like signed to new Japan of America. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he really hasn't been really seen a ton on these strong tours. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, next match we had Robbie Eagles and he defeated Kevin black, the undefeated NJP strong W um, Kevin Blackwood. Yeah. minutes, 32 seconds. So yeah, Kevin Blackwood, he's had, he's had a couple matches on Strong. Uh, I think his last one was over um, Trustbuster Arya Davari. Um, yeah. But he had a really tough competition here with, you know, former IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Robbie Eagles. Uh, really fun matchup here. You know, there's been a lot of hype behind Kevin Black. And honestly, I haven't really seen the hype. 
Um, you know, I've only seen him work on AEW Dark, which he only gets a few minutes there. But this is probably one of the best matches that I've seen so far. And I ha- again, I haven't seen much of his indie stuff, but I really you're not watching IWTV. No, I'm not watching IWTV. I'm not watching uh, Beyond Wrestling or any of that stuff. You need to get onto powerslam.tv, put in your code suplex for your. <laughs> those dudes ever pay us any money? No. Uh, we need it. That's not right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I liked this match. Um, I like Kevin Blackwood. Uh, I'm not like you. I'm ahead. I think he's big. You know, he's going to be a big star. I, I see the vision. When it comes to Kevin Blackwood, okay, just like I saw the vision with Daniel Garcia before anybody else did, just me, not any of you guys. <laughs> now I'm just playing, but no, in all seriousness, I did like the match quite a bit. Uh, I that was the kind of the nice thing with this episode was I felt like every match sort of improved on the match before it and in a good way. And um, Eagles had a huge reception. The fans seemed to really be behind Kevin Blackwood. And I thought they had a great match, told a great story and, uh, you know, didn't overstay their welcome. And Eagles got Blackwood out of there with the, uh, Ron Miller special. Yeah. Then the main event, we had the first strong, uh, defense of the strong openweight tag team titles. Second defense overall. They did defend them overseas. Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis. They defeated the West Coast wrecking crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. And so it was set up in the last tour where Jarrell Nelson challenged Aussie Open with uh, Royce Isaacs out on the G1 tour in Japan. Uh, he challenged those guys. And so they accepted the challenge, and we got the, the match here on this tour. Yeah, um, I thought this was awesome. I thought that this was one of the best tag team matches in njpw strong history to be quite frank with you and um i don't know if this is an overstep and i usually wouldn't do something like this but i think i'm close to like four stars for a sub 12 minute match yeah i think i'm like in that range like three and three quarters four stars uh i mean right aussie open they're just an incredibly great tag team and they're just really have a lot of momentum going right now this year all stuff they're doing in Rev Pro, stuff they're doing in Australia, the, the AEW appearances, and now uh, being on Strong, they're they're on Impact also now. They're all over the place and just having great matches all over the place. And um, facing here with West Coast Wrecking Crew, a team that kind of you know they've been like the main team on Strong. That was part of the promos. You know they were the tag team division, and you would think originally that maybe they would be the first champions. Um, and so, yeah, kind of the, the, you know, the establishing team versus new team kind of coming in and yeah, really good chemistry, really uh fun match up here. And yeah, Aussie open, these guys are just on another level right now. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is with, uh, West coast wrecking crew, we've been pretty high on them since day one, but they haven't quite had the right dance partners. I, I feel like to showcase what they're capable of in this company. Uh, I mean, they've always been impressive, but they haven't had a a true standout match, even though they themselves have been putting in great performances. And this was the first real noteworthy match for either team. And, you know, for all the hubbubaloo about there being like a tag team tournament, tag team titles, you know, a tag division, you know, I, I, I seem to recall like a year or two ago, people were like, they really need tag belts. And I've always felt like maybe they didn't because they didn't quite have the division for it. But this kind of felt like a justifying match where 
both of these teams are well established. There's a lot of history. They went out there. They had. They told a great story. A lot of chemistry, and I would love to see them wrestle again. And I thought it was a great first title defense. In fact, like I said, I just I think it's one of the best, if not the best, tag match in strong history. Yeah, and I'm wondering what's going to happen now with uh, Team Filthy going forward. You know, with Royce Isaacs and Filthy Tom being in Japan all summer, they kind of became bay faces there. And Team Filthy are heels in America on strong. So I'm wondering if we're going to see some issues between, like, Nelson and Isaacs um, based off of that and kind of where they go from here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, uh, I think you can get around that without disrupting the kayfabe too much, honestly. Yeah. So So next week we have NJPW Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed uh, Night 2, Saturday, September 17th, 8 p.m. Eastern. On NJPW World, uh, we have the matches uh, featuring Peter Avalon and Adrian Quest going one-on-one. Team Filthy's Tom Lawler and J.R. Kratos will be in a tag team match against Jordan Cruz and Cody Chun. And then in your main event, we have the Bull Club team of Jay White, Juice Robinson, Hikaleo, Chase Owens taking on the team of Kushida, Trent Beretta, Rocky Romero, and Taylor Rust. Yep, so we got Rapungi Vice back in action together again here against their old foes in the Bull Club. That should be a fun main event there. Nice. Well, that is going to do it for New Japan of America coverage. Uh, We've got a couple other things here in the news, some big items, some things to talk about, different topics, and uh, listener questions. Yeah. So first thing here, New Japan is set to hold its World Tag League and Super Junior Tag League tournaments at the same time this year. Oh, wow. <laughs> they announced the <laughs> combined World Tag League and Super Junior Tag League tour will begin at Corkin Hall in Tokyo on Monday, November 21st. The tour will conclude at Sendai Sun Plaza Hall in Miyagi on Wednesday, December 14th. The tour will consist of 17 shows in total. Um, and we had a question here. I forgot to put who this was from. Uh, says, would you like to see Despy and June Kasai team up and win this next year? I really like their chemistry and think if June came in as a surprise partner, it'd be pretty cool. Would just like your take on it? Uh, yeah, I guess you could do that. But I mean, the the question there is, who's the pin eater? I guess it would be June Kasai. But you know, I I think he's a pretty important figure in say like Freedoms. Plus, they sort of have this dynamic with within their feud outside of new Japan, that Junkasai is sort of like the senior to, um, you know, Despy's junior, you know, in ter- just in terms of like their uh, status uh, uh, within, you know, the pecking order versus one another. So I, I feel like that would be kind of a weird uh, dynamic to have Junkasai come in as his pinnier plus, yeah, they're a little lax in the rules in New Japan, but I mean, Jun Kasai is like a straight-up deathmatch guy. I'm not saying he couldn't go out there and have entertaining, you know, tag matches, but you know, people are going to want to see him bust out like barbed wire and you know, tacks and crazy and you know, skewers and I don't know, may- maybe something like that should be brought into New Japan, uh, into the World Tag League. Maybe that would be a welcome, you know sort of deal i don't i don't know 
yeah, it definitely could be um, an interesting mix-up and something different. Uh, but to all your points, yeah, he's mainly a deathmatch wrestler, and I don't know if that's what they're quite looking for for this tour, but it, it would be more interesting. So how are you feeling about this announcement of um, a combined league? You know, in the past couple of years, they combined World Tag League and Best of the Super Juniors. Um, they were both single blocks, but um, now we're getting the Super Junior Tag League, which usually happens, I believe, in pre-G1 or after G1 on its own little tour. And usually yeah. it's, it's usually like four or five teams, single block kind of deal, not a real big thing. But now they're combining it here with the World Tag League. Uh, so how are you feeling about this? Well, before I answer that, the other question I would have is, with Despi and Jun Kasai, would they be in the junior tag league or would they be in the world tag league? That's another thing where I'm not quite sure where they would even be slotted, you know, but uh, I guess that also leads into what we're talking about and the question you just asked me. So I've got mixed feelings on this. On the one hand, it's kind of been, there've been times where you got the world tag league at the end of the year and then junior tag league, like a month or two before that and ever since they moved junior tag league to a actual league and not like a single elimination tournament i've felt it to be a huge chore to get through something that was pretty superfluous just in general um and if you're and then having to go through a a single block tag league like that and then in short succession turn around and do it again for world tag league that's always felt like pretty arduous so it might be nice in a certain sense to have them combined uh for a few different reasons number one if you you're not into the tag team wrestling especially since it's no secret new japan's not necessarily like a tag team you know haven they're not having you know blow away tag team matches all the time then this might be a nice way for you to just skip it all all together it's like you know take december off and just treat it as a nice little break, you don't have to worry about it being shoehorned into the tour in October or, you know, November. Um, the other thing too, is if you do plan to watch it, maybe it will make things a little bit more convenient because they're both right there and you can just tune in and t- turn it on. I don't know. Yeah. I think another positive with them combining the junior tag league with world tag league it seems like they're going to make it a bigger deal which makes it sound like they're going to try and i guess find some more junior teams it's not just going to be bushi hiromu um despi and kanamaru and you know jato and Gato and the, the few teams that they're going to scrape together uh, i don't i don't have that thought really yeah man you know i just feel like what's going to end up happening is they did, you know, they've been doing the single block tournament for World Tag League for the past few years now using the same old tag teams. And then they were combining that with, you know, uh, Super Juniors in the single block format. I think they're just going to stick the Junior Tag League into that slot. There'll probably be 10 teams each. You'll probably have 10, you know, heavyweight tag teams, 10 junior tag teams. And that would reduce the necessity for them to bring in a bunch of outsiders from all over the world. And but do do they? I don't think they have ten junior tag teams just on their own. Uh, maybe not. But that they'll probably use like some lions. Probably use some guys from strong. You know, maybe 
they'll pull like a, a junior tag team from AEW or Impact. But I, I don't see it being personally. It's just the pessimist in me, just knowing how they treat that the, that December tour. I don't think we're going to get the the full on uh, best of Super Juniors treatment we saw this year, where they brought in all the outsiders. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get like a, a, a huge list of outsiders, but I just feel like with them yeah, combining this with World Tag League and the, the field potentially being bigger, I think that, that does leave the door open to, yeah, let's bring in, um, you know, a team from AEW. Let's bring in some an impact. Let's bring in the Motor City Machine Guns. Let's bring in, uh, you know, some other junior teams that could be a lot of fun. Right. And, you know, we've seen some interactions from uh... – uh, Glate this year, so who knows? Maybe they'll bring in Strong Hearts again or something like that. But yeah, and I mean that might be a nice little addition. I I don't see them expanding the field that much, though. I mean, I feel like we had like eight teams last year. No, for Junior Tag League. Yeah, I don't, for some reason it felt smaller to me. Maybe maybe it was more. Maybe I don't know. I mean, that's kind of also at the same time how like non memorable these you know, junior tag leagues have been in the past for me anyways. Yeah. And we also do have the, the addition of uh, Francisco Akira and TJP. Um, that would be in that league also, which would be um, pretty fun. Right. So, I mean, I'm looking right now in 2018, they had eight teams in 2019. They had eight teams. And in 2020 they had, or I'm sorry, in 20. Yeah, they reduced it in 2020 down to six teams. And that was last year. But prior to that, they had uh, eight teams each time. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I'm really remembering the the, the last one. There's, there's only six teams. But, you know, even in those, I mean, if you look at them, they definitely brought in some outsiders. I mean, Chris Sabin, ACH, uh, Volador, Sobrano Jr., you know, so Teton, different guys like that. So it's not like they haven't had outsiders in the past. You know, I would say probably expect some of the guys from uh, Best Super Juniors to come back. You know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we got like say Chris Bay and uh, Ace Austin and Ace Austin as a team. I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Zane comes in, stuff like that. Yeah. Overall, I think it could end up it could end up being more fun than usual. But again, yeah, it is November, December time. Everything's geared towards Wrestle Kingdom in January, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting if it just I guess to see what the format is like, what the teams are. I was sort of hoping personally um, that they would expand World Tag League back to a wider field because I didn't think they were going to need to share the date with any other tournament, which would have met, opened the door for some of these other kind of fun, exciting tag teams that exist on the outside to maybe get involved. And I know we do that to ourselves every year, but that feels less likely now, just kind of knowing the time frame that I don't think they have the full dates listed, but I mean, I just got to imagine it's probably going to be 10 teams, 10 teams. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking also. So... But who knows? Maybe we'll get like uh, Aussie Open in it. I, I'm pretty confident we'll we'll get Aussie, Aussie Open, uh, especially with them. We'll talk about them getting you know uh, heavyweight tag title match at, at Royal Quest. Uh, I think they're going to be featured more in Japan eventually. 
Oh yeah, I hope they beat FTR. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> the uh, dudes who won the title not in Japan and then lost the title not, not in Japan, Japan. <laughs> and never came over. I'd be, you know, I like FTR, but I'd also be fine if they just never came to Japan. Really. Yeah, I'm not really clamoring for them to, you know, be here ASAP or anything. Yeah, what do you think a FTR World Tag League looks like? I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they would even want to do it, honestly. I, I don't think Tony would let them do it. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next thing here, uh, NJPW Tamahashi. NJPW is launching a brand aimed at the Oceania market of New Zealand and Australia. Australia, In a press release on Wednesday, last Wednesday, NJPW announced the launch of NJPW Tamahashi with the first show set for New Zealand and Australia in November. Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and Bad Luck Fale have been announced for the events set for Christchurch, New Zealand on Friday, November 11th, and Sydney, Australia on Sunday, November 13th. Tickets for the shows go on sale Friday, September 9th. Also, uh, this past week, Jeff Cobb was announced to be a part of the event in November as well. And in the press release, um, NJPW likens the Tamahashi brand to NJPW's uh, strong brand here in the United States with talent from the company's New Zealand dojo set to be used the way the LA dojo has been on strong. Yeah, I mean, I think this is interesting. I think it's probably the right move, especially since, um, you know, over the past few years, uh, especially pre-pandemic, the Australia scene was really starting to kind of blossom. Uh, But at the same time, there have been a lot of guys from that scene that have left and, uh, you know, COVID occurred and kind of really decimated a lot of things. And some of those once... uh, you know, prominent independent groups have kind of gone by the wayside or, you know, diminished. And a few other groups have kind of like also risen up in recent times, but sort of feels like an open market there. And it doesn't have that same kind of like that, you know, negative connotation that say like Brit Res has. Right. Yeah. In pretty close proximity to New Japan. And when you consider Fale and all the work he's done in the dojo there, it just kind of seems like a natch. If they're not going to partner up with anybody in, you know, that New Zealand, Australia uh, sort of region makes all the sense in the world for them to like, kind of launch a sub brand, have a place where guys that are training can get work and get experience. And, you know, that might even be a, a, a new market where they can get a foothold and actually do some business. And obviously when they, you know, eventually tour there, which they do from time to time, uh, it's going to be a net positive for them. So, yeah, they did pretty good when they did that. What was it? Southern showdown um, a couple of years ago, that uh, new Japan tour they did there with uh, when Rob Eagles turned on bull club and um, came Bay face. So I feel like it's, it's a good market, a market that loves new Japan and they already have the the Fale Dojo there. We saw the documentary of some of those guys that uh, Fale and Tony Kazina have been training. So, yeah, I think it makes a, a ton of sense. And, um, again, it's going to be set up similar to New Japan Strong. So you'll, you'll have these Fale Dojo guys facing off against New Japan guys. And I'm sure they'll break in, bring in, like, local independent guys also from that Oceanic region as well. 
So I think it, you know, it's almost like you know the Triple H, you know NXT model. Like let's open up, you know NXTs all, all over the world, and so New Japan's kind of doing that here. That we have strong here in America, and now they have the Fale Dojo, and they're going to do this Tamahashi brand. So it's pretty cool to kind of see New Japan expanding, and that just means we're going to get some. It's a whole other talent pool for them to send guys over to Japan. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, I think it's Tamashi or Tamashai, one of those two. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sure somebody will correct us. Well, I think you're throwing it in H like Tanahashi. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <on> Tamahashi. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to pronounce it either. Actually, at this point, maybe we need to hear someone else say it. But uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that affects this show because i don't know if i have interest in watching new japan of america and new japan of new zealand and then new japan and then also you know all like it's just a lot yeah we might just have to you know do do the results of what's going on in oceanic region until it becomes a bigger deal maybe we can get keeping it strong style australia new zealand or you know um oceana We'll get uh, Sir Sam to do, yeah, keeping it oceanic style. I'm fine with us. I would love if we had, like, an oceanic keeping it strong style brand and a North American uh, brand as well. And we don't do either of them. We, <laughs> we completely sublet that to others. Well, maybe we could do that, change some things up, you know. And we get, we still get the lion's share of the advertising on it, but we'll give whoever does it, we'll give them a little taste, you know. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So that's that going on in the Oceanic region uh, this uh, past week. I guess it was what yesterday that we had uh, the today today the, uh, the J- or, or maybe or maybe no yeah it was yesterday sorry <laughs> all right uh, JTO had the Takamichinoku 30th anniversary Takataichi Despi Mania show which was a pay per view on NJPW World uh, won't give spoilers in case people haven't watched it yet or you know still trying to find time to watch it but. The big main event that's been getting um, a lot of buzz, uh, June Kasai versus El Desperado. Uh, Josh, I know you've seen the match already, and spoiler alert, it's going to be the, the excursion uh, match of the week as well. Uh, I guess just real quick, non-spoiler thoughts on this match. Uh, the post-match will make you cry. The match itself will make you cringe. Uh, this match is out standing but you need a strong stomach because if you've watched desperado's other uh, death matches namely like the match with john moxley or his other matches with june kasai those are you know technically death matches but like there's a spectrum when it comes to the ghoul scale you know what i mean you got like your brawls you know uh stuff like that then you got like your more hardcore matches which are like just a notch above like a no dq or like a you know a brawl then on the 
very, very far end of the spectrum, you start getting into deathmatch territory, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say that the Despy matches, they just kind of straddle that line. Like, they're clearly death matches, but they're not that too far off from your average, like, GCW hardcore match or whatever. This one goes all the way, all the fucking way. I mean, they did some stuff that was like, yeah, that like, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's an incredible story. I think that this has a really, really good shot of winning excursion match of the year this year. That's how good it is. It's really great. And uh, yeah, man, Despy's out here. Like, I, I don't know. I, like, I don't want to influence too many people, but it's going to be hard for him to not win junior of the year right now. Yeah. I mean, he's been doing really great work and, you know, he has a shot here with these matches to get, you know, excursion match of the year, like you mentioned. And we have a question here from Reddit user Wiz Factors. It's with the main event of Taka Taichi Despy Mania. Can we say that 2022 is the year of excursion matches for NJPW? It feels like NJPW has left absolute bangers in every single promotion they have stepped foot in. You know, that's true. Um, and it's happening. But, you know, before the pandemic, it was way more, way more. And um, before the elite left, new japan and before ring of honor like imploded on itself and before nxt signed up every free agent in the known universe (laughs) when the indie scene was booming in like 2016 2017 2018 it was way more than this way 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 more i mean kenny omega was out there doing crazy stuff every all the time in all sorts of places abushi was literally all over the world doing crazy stuff. Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, LIJ was always traveling. Um, the Bucks were having like constant great matches. Plus all the guys that worked in Ring of Honor all the time. Plus all the guys that were working in Red Pro all the time. And PWG was always having, you know, New Japan representation and tons of dream matches. And, you know, Michael Elgin was out there, you know, killing it and, will osprey and ricochet and it was it was kind of crazy at one point like it was almost impossible to keep up with what was uh going on out there yeah then your wrestlemania weekends new japan had yeah. more, more of a focus um a yeah. few, few years ago than it did in the you know, last couple of years not to mention guys like suzuki and ishii just being all over the world having bangers like and i know some of that stuff is still going on and this has definitely been an uptick this year and it's been pretty great but man during during that heyday of like the the indie scene boom like it was a lot more than this <laughs> yeah also a question here from less commission 7252 how do you guys feel about desperado fighting in these hardcore death matches outside of new japan you guys probably haven't watched a match with him and junkasai but it was too much violence with the weapons they were using and the wrestling didn't feel like wrestling at all. I'm not trying to downgrade wrestling, but this is the reason why I'm not a huge fan of hardcore death matches. Um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to death match wrestling. Like, because I think when it's done correctly, it can really be an effective storytelling device. And I have plenty of death matches in my wrestling you know watch history or repertoire whatever you want to call it that i love going back for decades um but 
anytime I try to watch a product that bases itself primarily around that style of wrestling, I find myself quickly bored because I personally think that gimmicks like that are more effective when they're done sparsely, you know? Yeah. And, and also when they have a good build. Yeah. When there's a build and there's a story and there's a reason behind it, but the style itself isn't the issue I have. It's when the, I, I think deathmatch wrestling is pretty special if I'm being honest. And when you see, someone doing these really crazy things over and over and over and over again, you get desensitized to it. And it leaves less of an impact. You know, it's like you turn, you turn on like a old school CZW show and if everybody's doing crazy stuff the whole night. By the time you get to the, the cage of death match, it's like, man, I already saw everyone bleed. I saw everyone go through glass. So everyone, you know, I don't know. But, um, on the flip side, I've heard a lot of people use the argument where they're like, you know, deathmatch wrestling is trash and it's unathletic and, you know, it's lazy and it's for guys that can't work and also talk about how it's the destruction of someone's body, you know, and there's that, that preservation aspect to it, that criticism. And my feeling on it is all of wrestling is like that. All of it, even the comedy matches, even the squashes, you know, no matter what it is, it's people going out there and laying their lives on the line and, and their bodies and their health and their safety and destroying their bodies. Even if it doesn't look that way, that is what's happening. It just so happens that deathmatch is the most visually graphic version of that that you could possibly muster up. Right. But at the end of the day, it's all the same. I mean, whether it's Pancrase or whether it's, you know, um, I don't know, like Chikara and like goofy, you know, comedy wrestling matches and Lucha Underground or, you know, Glow. <laughs> <laughs> They're all taking bumps, you know. So I don't know. I, I would say Deathmatch probably isn't for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But um, I've definitely seen way crazier hardcore matches than this one but it was extremely violent it was truly a modern day death match i mean you know some of the stuff they did was nuts yeah death matches aren't my like go-to style of match but i don't really hate them i do think that there is a, a psychology to them just like a regular match there is psychology and ways to put together death matches and i do think that sometimes there are some indies where they do quote unquote death matches and it's just untrained guys hitting each other with stuff because they don't yeah. know how to do anything else. Uh, but when it's done correctly and like you mentioned, done sparingly and done for bill, like clearly there's been a, a long history here now between Desperado and June Kasai. They've been having these death matches and they've been doing all this stuff on these Takataichi Despi mania shows. And so now this kind of rivalry, the history, they don't do them you know, every week these, these happen periodically um, throughout time. And so I think it makes it special and there's a bill to it. And so I, I'm fine with stuff like that. But again, I'm not somebody's going to just throw on a death match when I'm looking for something to watch, but I think they can be fun and they can be done well. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, is like, um, this was a pretty big draw. Uh, the building there and was, I, I don't know exactly which building it was, but it did not look like one that I was overly familiar with. Um, 
let me see here. They were in Yoyogi National Gymnasium number two, and they drew just shy of 2,000 people, which isn't huge by, like, say, New Japan standards. But you know what? Even in this pandemic era, that's not a bad crowd across the board, even for New Japan or Stardom or Noah or Dragon Gate. And considering it's sort of like a JTO produce show, that's a pretty big number for them. So this was a one of the bigger like produce crowds I've seen in a very long time. So there's a lot of interest. The crowd was incredible for the show, and they're very, very, very hot. Yeah, the and, crowd was a lot of cheer for this show. Yeah, and the match was just phenomenal. Like if if you guys haven't seen it, I would say definitely find a way to watch it. Um, I don't know if I'm quite five stars, but it's definitely in that four, four and a half to five star range, I would say, easily. So um, go out of your way, check it out. And, you know, um, it's okay to watch other stuff. You know, that's the other thing, too, is like, like you said, Jeremy, like, are there bad death matches that suck? Yeah, but there's also bad lucha, and bad lucha sucks, and there's bad grapple fuck, and that sucks, and there's bad shoot style. I mean, I've seen terrible. Um, blood sport matches where I'm like they don't they shouldn't even be in there. Yeah, seen terrible WWE house show style matches. I mean, across the board, this when you have an art, there are people that are great practitioners of it and bad. And Jun Kasai, for what it's worth, is probably one of the absolute all time great deathmatch wrestlers of his time. And you know, Despy's a crazy motherfucker, and he's going out there and he's about that life. He wants to smoke. Yeah, and he he mentioned like, do we have any issue with Despy doing these matches? I, I think they're fine, but there obviously there is the concern of him getting hurt. He did break his jaw that one time in in 2019, uh, doing one of these matches. But again, he can get hurt in. I think there's a freak accent more than anything else, though. Yeah, I mean, he could also get hurt in a regular match as well. Um, right. So I mean, the risk is always there. So I mean, as long as he's working as safely as possible in a scenario i think it's fun you know for me it actually endears desperado to me quite a bit um and i you guys just gotta watch the match because jeremy if jeremy hadn't recommended it for recommend match of the week i would just give you my full synopsis but i want to hold back a little bit (laughs) so i can uh you know give you guys uh a review next week but i mean man like here's the thing with Despy is like in the past we've talked about how he's had he's really had to step up and become the leader of of the uh, division and all that but he also isn't quite maybe up to the level in certain respects to some of the top stars of the junior division over the past decade or so you know that's been some that's been a criticism that I've had anyways and I've found him to be compelling at times um ever since he ascended to the top of this uh, division. But at other times I've been like, you know, he's a good little hand, but I'm kind of bored with him. Yeah. But, but when he goes out and he does this, he's doing something that no other junior in new Japan does. And it's always compelling and it's always really exciting. And it's like, Holy crap. And it adds like a different wrinkle and a different kind of layer to him. And it's like, I know how crazy like Hiromu is, but like, this is a different kind of crazy. And, um, I don't know. I like that he sort of has this other life outside of New Japan where he's a deathmatch guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it, kind of cool. I think Elvis' stock, I mean, it got to a point where he had a match with John Moxley this year. Like, I would never would have thought, like, 
uh, Mox and Despier are going to have a you know a big main event match, and so I think him doing these death matches are, are raising his stock, raising his profile, and getting him more recognition and bigger matches. I'll tell you this: this was better than the John Moxley match. I'm sure it was, and it was better than the tag match that they had with him and um him and Doki against Hanma and uh, Jun Kazai. It was better than that too. Mm. That one was really good. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So. Yeah, Despy's out here having these uh, awesome excursion matches, giving uh, you know, give, putting Will Osprey on notice. <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump into some other uh, quick news items here. So, uh, New Japan has announced that the IWGP Tag Team Champions, FTR, Dax Harwood, Cash Wheeler, will put their titles on the line against Aussie Open, Mark Davis, and Kyle Fletcher, uh, night one of Royal Quest Two. And we had a question here from MJ Does PR says, "Let's talk tag scene. FTR is facing Aussie Open at Royal Quest. Who else would you like to see them face as a part of their championship run?" Um, and you know, Josh, like we were talking about earlier, you know, we are it seems like we're both not really clamoring for FTR to to come in Japan and have this big run in Japan. I mean, if they come, uh, that's cool, but I don't think there's a whole ton of teams that I'm like clamoring to see FTR face. I mean, I think FTR versus dangerous techers, uh, could be cool. FTR versus, uh, Goto and Yoshihashi FTR versus Tamatonga and, uh, Tangaloa. Uh, I, I guess could be uh, kind of a cool matchup. Uh, but besides those teams, I think those are kind of the top teams. I'm not sure who else I really am, am you know, dying to see FTR face. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's, okay, so like, would it be cool if they came in and they fought the major tag teams that are in New Japan, like say Dangerous Techers or Lij, or I mean, uh, you know, like Cobb and Okan, like sure, but I'm not clamoring for it either. Yeah, and and part of that is an indictment on FTR, I guess, but part of it is more like an indictment on New Japan as a whole, just not having a super healthy or super strong tag team division at all. Yeah. I mean, there, there are teams out there. Like there are, there are uh, domestic teams or there are teams that can create. There are uh, foreign teams that they can bring in. Like there definitely could be a lot more effort in the tag division um, than there has been in the past. I feel like um, one of the best matches they could be having is this one with Aussie open. Um, Maybe Bishamon would be cool. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned those guys. Um, yeah, I think the top teams. Yeah, Bishamon, Dangerous Techers, Cobb and Ocon, all those you know, God, like those top teams. It, it would be yeah, you know, cool for them to happen. But again, not like clamor for it. Not, not. I don't think they're like dream matches, so to speak. But uh, they'd, they'd be cool matches. But yeah, I think this Aussie Open match uh, is going to be really good. They had some build to it from the the Music City. Uh, mayhem show and that post-match angle there with FTR and Aussie Open and I think they've done some stuff on AEW as well 
Um, again, like we said earlier, I'd be totally down with Aussie Open winning this match, being double champs, being IWGP tag champs and strong tag champs, and I'd be totally Why fine. not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, if FTR are not going to be in Japan defending the belts, I don't see what business sense it really... Like, what sense does that make? You know, and that was always one of the reasons why when we were uh, previewing the Forbidden Door that I kind of knew that FTR would win, but I also felt like maybe they shouldn't unless they're coming to Japan, you know. Now, if they're going to come to Japan, which they might, I mean, if I'm FTR, I definitely want to do a dome show, you know. I don't want to do World Tag League. Well, who knows? You know, they're kind of marks. <laughs> and if you look at, like, the history of wrestling, like, that is one of, I mean, what other tag tournament exists out there? Um, I mean, sure, I think, like, you know, no one in all Japan have one, but, like, the major tournament in Japan for tag teams is World Tag League, and there's not too many other ones that even exist out there, so... I want to be seven star FTR. I might want to just do a world tag league and, and win it, but I wouldn't do it if I wasn't going to win it. Right. Yeah. So go, you want for two months. All right. Uh, are we, we going over or no? <laughs> right. So, I mean, what you could do is you can, you can have them lose to Aussie open here and then you can have them win world tag league. If that's what your like aim was. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think they would win world tag league as champions. Right, and then you can run it back at the Dome, FTR, Aussie Open, three. Then again, I don't know if Tony Khan wants to, like you said, give them away for that amount of time. Um, you know, they, they, they've they talked so much in their promos about the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling and those titles and who've held it. And you just know that they want to be like the Steiners and, and all those guys. They want to they wanna do a Dome show. So, I don't know. I would be a little surprised if they lost the titles here. But then again, at the same time, it's like, damn, we're going to not have tag team champions until January? Yeah. Kind of sucks. Yeah, I'm not, definitely not the best move. Then again, the counter argument is that it kind of sucks when we have the belts anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You mean you're not down for more uh, Chase and Fale versus Cobb and Ocon? I'd be okay with it, I guess. I mean, I'm at this point, like, they beat me down to the point where, like, I'm not even, like, ripping up a, a fucking dog cage match, six-man tag team title, whatever. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get outraged about that. I, I'm not going to be too outraged about this IWGP tag team title situation, I suppose. <laughs> it's an easy week. I'm just like... You know, whatever. You, Gato, do whatever the fuck you want. Right? <laughs> uh, company and announced. Uh, when Brock was like, if he's gone, then I'm gone. Yeah. Well, th- that's how it is with like me and Gato. It's like, if he's not going to try, I'm not going to try. <laughs> um, company also announced on uh, the website this past week that uh, Kevin Blackwood and Eddie Kingston we're out of this past weekend, strong tapings, uh, Blackwood out due to personal reasons while Eddie Kingston tested positive for COVID-19. As a result of those absences, the card was changed. So the six-man tag that had Kingston teaming with Homicide and Wheeler Utah against Jay White, Carl Anderson, Doc Gowles was changed to Homicide in Utah facing Jay White and Carl Anderson in a tag team match. 
Kevin Blackwood's match with Ari Davari was changed to Kevin Knight against Davari, and then Chi Cabrera was set to face Kevin Knight, and instead he faced Doc Gallows in a singles match. Che. Che. Che uh, Cabrera. Uh, I wonder if I trained... I, I trained with a guy named Che. I wonder if it's Che Cabrera. <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, a classic NJ- look it up. <laughs> a classic NJPW documentary is now available for free. Check out the story of Hiromu Takahashi's return to the ring from his neck injury in 2019 in Red Headed Revival. Also with Hiromu, he has been pushing a lot lately for a all junior heavyweight show, like a standalone show of all juniors. Uh, what have you been thinking about Hiromu's comments on that? It is not the same Che. Also, this dude is literally doing like a Che Guevara um, like gimmick. So that's kind of weird. Anyways, yeah, as far as the Hiromu thing goes, I mean, I don't really know what to think about it. He keeps bringing it up, but I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but it feels like where there's some like smoke, there might be fire there. At the same time, it's New Japan. I mean, New Japan has, has best of the super juniors. They included a lot of outside talent this year. In the past, they had the Super J Cup. They had the Super Grade, you know, Junior Tag League or whatever. And every single one of those tournaments has traditionally afforded opportunities to bring in outsiders who are top junior stars. So I'm not sure exactly what he's even proposing, to be honest, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing them do yeah standalone like, junior big show when once they do, you know, best super juniors and they have that big super junior finals. So yeah, I'm not quite sure that we're actually going to see something like that. You know, he's been saying he wants juniors to main event Wrestle Kingdom, and I think the best shot for that was when they were doing multiple nights and they had the the big Hiromu Despy match. I feel like they could have done last year, the year before, as, a, as a, one of the main events on one of the nights. But now we're back to one night, and so it's definitely going to be harder for a junior title match to main event the Tokyo Dome. So Hiromu just says these stuff. I, I don't know how much, you know, steam is actually going to come from come behind it. NXT just uh, launched a new logo nine minutes ago. Oh, yeah, and they, they got rid of the, the rainbow splatter. Yeah, you can see this picture. It's like... It looks like the old yellow one, kind of. Yeah, so essentially, yeah, the same font, but they've switched the colors back to gold. Oh, I, I actually don't know. Is that is that the font they were using for Rainbow? Yeah, it looks like it might be. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is a 3.0. Um, Yeah, but anyways, so what was your question? <laughs> Um, I was just saying, I was just talking about like you know Hiromu saying oh, he, yeah, yeah. he wants a junior show, but he's also said he wants the juniors to main event the Tokyo Dome, and I feel like best shot of that was when they were doing multiple Tokyo Domes, and now they're doing one right. again. So his chances for you know junior shows and junior main events in Tokyo Dome are very slim. Well, the hard part is okay. Could in theory could like a could you do a one night show with nothing but juniors that like could draw on a major level? I think that there is something to that, you know, um, we've seen the success of crossover shows like 
Noah X New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom, the Forbidden Door, things like that. Um, and we're about to get the historic stardom and New Japan show as well. So could there be something to not a tournament, but like a major crossover show featuring the best junior wrestlers in the world? And that just be what it is. Yeah, I think that could work if if now that I'm kind of thinking about it out loud in those terms, but you would really need like the top junior stars from everywhere. And then at the same time, like the kind of dirty little secret in Japanese wrestling is like they're kind of sizes, you know? Right, yeah. Like juniors are presented as inferior, so they don't draw like heavyweights and they don't do business like heavyweights, except for the one time a year that they are afforded the opportunity to have best of the super juniors. And even that tournament isn't, you know, that tour is lucrative, but it's not as lucrative as say like G1 or, you know, some of the other tours that they do. So I don't know. And then you got to think what's the best uh, platform. Could they do like a sumo hall or like a Budokan? Um, for like a an all-star junior show and who would be involved and what what do you put on top that would actually draw right yeah you know is the star power out there does that exist and maybe i'm not the right person to answer that because i'm not as familiar with a lot of the top junior talent that exists out there outside of new japan Right, it's the same, same here. Yeah, I'm not sure who the other big junior stars outside of New Japan are, Who could, what, what potential like dream matches there are in Japan for like Hiromu to face or like Desperado to face somebody from a different, different promotion. Yeah, because I mean, if okay, like let's say if you look at their biggest partners in North America or even like the Indies, there's not a single name that I can think of that would mean anything on that level in Japan. You know what I mean? Right. Because even like, again, even in, in America, like even though traditionally, yeah, wrestlers I think have become smaller size wise. I don't think a ton of companies really push juniors or make juniors, you know, the the main event flagship stars. So again, there's not these huge stars that could come over to face Hiromu and have this big dream, you know, money making match. Well, yeah, I still think at this point, like one of either Desperado or Hiromu are going to be your top. Uh, you know, junior attraction in New Japan, right? Yeah. Um, who Who's out there? Like, in North America, who's probably outside of WWE? Who's the top junior that even exists? Um, I don't know, Darby Allin? Yeah, that's who I was going to say. I don't think he does business with either of those guys that actually amounts to drawing on that level, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Ray Phoenix maybe, but then you run into the CMLL AAA issues. But even then, I don't know if a Pentagon or a Phoenix would matter on that level to New Japan, like or even to a pro resu audience. I don't think so. Not not enough for it to be a main event of a standalone junior show. Um, maybe Dragon Lee. But I don't know, maybe those, maybe the, those, uh, I don't know what the terminology is, but like maybe the time has passed for that. You look to Mexico and I mean, yeah, there's some top stars, Vikingo and, 
you know, um, the old classics, Volador and Mystico, but I don't know. I just, I don't feel like they're, I feel like what you would need is you would need the top quantity or the top quality of juniors from everywhere. And you would need a, a, a massive quantity of them because there's not the, the major names that you could put at the very, very tip top. Uh, the only junior names I could think of from America that actually matter in Japan is the Young Bucks. Right, yeah. If you could get the Young Bucks to headline a match with, say, like, maybe like Hiromu and Desperado in a dream match, that might that might be something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that'd be interesting. I guess it also to depend on what venue they're running, how many people they're trying to draw to this. Yeah, and I mean, you also look at uh just domestically i mean obviously there's big names in dragon gate there's big names in noah some you know big uh big names out there with glade and big japan and all japan and all that but uh they uh, they just don't seem to have the same kind of cachet as some of the big stars in new japan so i mean in, in a perfect world you get Rey mysterio <laughs> yeah that yeah in a in a perfect world you like headline Rey mysterio and hiromu takahashi and like if you do that maybe that like real draw you know maybe you do that and then you do the bucks versus i don't know some other like dream tag team underneath them shingo uh, and hiromu yeah but shingo's not a junior all right well you can drop a few pounds nope. for this show nope nope <laughs> that's not gonna work this is a junior all-star show well then young bucks were heavyweights last time they were in new japan they're, no, they weren't. They were fighting above their weight class. Hmm. Heavyweight is an open weight. They were juniors who were excelling in a division that they did not belong in. <laughs> uh, they got beat by G.O.D. Yeah, they did, yeah. But yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm open to this idea, so maybe it will be something. I don't know. Maybe it's just a pipe dream. Yeah, we'll see. Another news, Yuya Uemura made his Impact TV debut last week, defeating Kenny King. I mean, they had this you know big hype video for Uemura. Um, he has new music, new gear. Um, looked really cool. I thought he looked awesome. I mean, he, he looked like an ace. <laughs> yeah, and like we, we joked last week that, you know, Impact is trying to make up for when they squandered Okada. And so far, so good. I like the presentation of Yamora. Got a, got a big win on a, an established guy on, on his first match. Um, so I think it's Can be that, Kenny King. Yeah, K I N G King. Good. I don't like King. Fuck <laughs> Kenny King. Um, Remember when he ruined the the battle royal at Madison Square Garden? We 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 ended up with Liger and Muto in a face off, and he fucked it up. Mm-hmm. I'll never forgive that man. <laughs> if I saw him in real life, I'd spit on him. <laughs> No, I'm just playing. I would never do that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, beating Kenny King. And so, yeah, it seems like Yamora's going to get a little bit of a push here in Impact. And I, I think it's going to be great. Like you mentioned, he looks like an ace. And overall, I think he's going to be the guy that could be the next guy where everybody's been clamoring for to kind of come back and uh, be the next face of New Japan. It's weird. It's almost like we've been predicting this for years and years and years. <laughs> It's like we are always ahead. Ahead, yes. Uh, and last thing here before question, Keiji Muto's retirement show uh, is being planned to be the biggest Noah show in its heyday, 17 years. 
ago at the February 21st date at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, the show we build as Pro Wrestling Last Love. The plan is for Noah to promote an all-star show of wrestlers from multiple promotions involved as opposed to simply a Noah show. Chono, Muto's rival, as well as tag team partner, will be involved in the promotion of the event. It will be um, a Tuesday show airing starting at 5 p.m. local time. Front row tickets are priced at 4000 for the show with the second row at 800 and I believe I think that they sold those all yeah, out. All those have been sold out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these people really want to see Muto <laughs> wrestle his last match, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, that's cool. Someone else is running the dome other than New Japan. I mean, it's been years and years since that's happened. Other than unless you count that that time that DDT ran an empty arena match with Minoru Suzuki as a dome show, but no one was there. So I don't know if I really count that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, hardly anyone else has ran the dome uh, outside of new Japan in the greater part of a decade, maybe more. So it's pretty cool. Um, I wouldn't be surprised just considering that it's Muto. If new Japan does have some involvement considering how important, he was to this company and how important they were to him. Um, I'm surprised that Noah even got the rights to this show because this man was setting it up so that his contract with Noah is actually going to be over at that point. And he was, he set it up initially. He's like, I'm, I'm wrestling five more matches and the date for the fifth match is at this point. And it was outside of the parameters of his contract. And it's like this fucking grifter. Like, <laughs> You know, and from what I understand, like he did talk to multiple other companies, including New Japan. And it looked like New Japan might have even been angling to potentially be the ones to host this particular show. But Noah ponied up the money. Um, I'm sure Cyber Agent didn't want to, uh, you know, lose out on the opportunity and they're going to be hosting it. And, you know, maybe New Japan will be invo involved or not. But, uh, you know, Say what you will about Kijimuto and, and everything. Like, he is one of the original musketeers of New Japan. So, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So, uh, moving on to some questions here, and then we'll do a recommended match of the week and get out of here. So, from Barry Walsh says, with NJPW doing a joint show at Stardom and the possible inclusion of Joshi on New Japan shows going forward. And for Barry talking about moving with the times, that question is, do either of you think the Young Lion system needs to change or a tweak here and there? Obari recently said he wants the best college athletes to consider wrestling as opposed to other sports. But on other sports, you don't get knocked around while sharing a small house with seven or more other people and also dropped on your head daily, then chopped off overseas for a year that for, for a year, this having a total of two to three years of paying dues. The system that has worked so well for so long, but with the world changing in general to a software approach to things mentally, do you think the young line system needs to move the times also? Um, that's a great question. Um, I definitely think that some of the policy changes that they've talked about enacting recently are very necessary, especially in Japan. Like they talk, you know, in the past you couldn't, be in school uh, and try out for New Japan, you know, and part of the reason for that was because they wanted your whole life and dedication to be, you know, focused on wrestling in New Japan. But the reality is, 
I forget what the uh, statistic is now, but it's something it's something very significant, like 85%, 90% of individuals in Japan now uh, that graduate high school go to either college or a post-secondary school for extended amount of time. So if you're not taking any women and then you're not taking anyone that's in college, but the vast majority of the population are involved in going to college or are you know females, then you're kind of limiting your the potential of what you're doing as a as a uh, you know company. You're limiting that severely to like a very niche amount of people. So they talked about lifting that restriction, which should open up the possibility of you know athletes who are in college to get training or be involved in some way. I don't know, um, but as far as like the rest of it. I just don't know, you know, um, because like you said, it's something that has worked for so many years. I mean, going back to the seventies, going back to the eighties, this has been a system that has had success after success after success. And sure, there've been some, some misses and, and things like that. But, um, as far as you know, creating competent pro wrestlers, they've been extremely successful. Then again, you could look at like, say what all Japan women's did in like the eighties and the nineties. And you look at like, uh, the girls from stardom and like, they're starting them off younger and they're producing excellent pro wrestlers who are vastly younger than a majority of new Japan's roster at the same time. And so, I have to wonder if maybe starting, you know, and I think there's a fine line because you don't want to, I don't know if I'm in favor of 15 year olds and 14 year olds who are still developing man or woman to, to be taking bumps. You know what I mean? Like that might not be healthy, but you look at some of these girls that have started off as high speeders and in stardom and like, you know, we, we, we talk about the youngsters in New Japan and they're like a decade older than, <laughs> right, yeah. than some of the girls in stardom. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, it's kind of a situation of, what you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, Young Line system, like you mentioned, for decades now has been producing the best wrestlers, top superstars. I think the, the for me, I think the, the major, the, not really even major, but just a, a simple tweak is just to, speed up the excursion process. I think you have a lot of guys who are, they go on excursion that they've been gone for a while um, or guys that they're kind of wrestling in Japan for a while. I feel like they can kind of speed up. All right. The, the process of wrestling in Japan and then go on excursion and kind of speed that whole thing up. Cause I feel like you have a ton of guys, LA dojo guys who are on excursion on the Noge dojo uh, who have been kind of out a while. And I feel like you're kind of, burning time with those guys and they could be brought back sooner maybe but i mean at the same time for a lot of those wrestlers that time spent on excursion has been in the past invaluable for providing them with life experience providing them with an opportunity to work different styles in different places around the world getting different exposures and looks and uh, having that time to kind of workshop their character and figure out 
you know, how to work a gimmick and how to work a crowd and, and everything like that. And so I don't know. I, I am very torn on that because it's not just being able to have a match. You know, most by the time most of the Lions get through, you know, make it to their just initial grad, like not graduation, but to make it to the main roster to where they're performing, they already know how to work a match. Right. Probably better than most amateur wrestlers or uh, indie wrestlers do. But they still need that time, that seasoning. I, I do think that maybe there could be an argument that they should shorten up some aspects of the excursion or of the young lion process. But I don't know if the excursion is necessarily that part of it because that part seems to be very important. Uh, sometimes we've seen guys linger as lions, in my opinion, too long. I felt like Suji and Yumura in particular, and part of it was because of the, the pandemic, but I felt like they were lions for just way too long. Yeah, that's what I'm really thinking about. Like those guys yeah, who have been lions for a while. I think back to like Aaron Hanare, who kind of got stuck in that, that system for a lot longer than he should have. Then he got hurt, and then he kind of got a semi kind of gimmick and you know he he was on an, a low card guy for a while um, yeah and so i feel like there are some guys who kind of get stuck longer than they actually need to be in that system but you know uh, another thing too is there is a rich tradition um of this young lion system with the dojo and uh one of the other things that obari talked about during that press conference is letting guys have something as simple as like introducing you know different gear you know or aspects to their character earlier and there is that traditionalist in me that's like well part of the reason why people react so heavily to these characters when they return from their excursion is because we grew with them over that period of time that they were young lions performing on the undercard and um there was a process there and there was an investment and we kind of experienced that along with them as we watched them. And part of me wonders if that would go away, if you start to implement some of these other changes. The other thing too is, you know, pulling back the curtain, a lot of the wrestlers, especially the trainers in the no, Day, no gay dojo were unaware that Obari was ever even going to make these comments. And people were very upset, especially those who are loyalists to the you know um senior like trainers in the no gay dojo because it almost implies that what they're doing doesn't work or is ineffective and i don't think that the talent feels that way i feel like this is something that management uh which might be a little bit disconnected from the everyday reality of training has suggested yeah I and mean, also it's easy for obari to be like yeah we, we need you know younger bigger stars and we need to change this whole process up when he's not in the day-to-day -day process of the dojo and not seeing, knowing how long it takes for somebody to progress and the whole science behind sending a guy away for a couple of years to a different country to learn a different style and come back. So there is another issue too, though, Jeremy, it's not just a matter of creating talent in a quick successive manner and pumping them out and getting them into you know, the rotation, because if that's all it was, 
he kind of become NXT all over again, you know? Yeah. The issue that New Japan has had, if you want to call it that, is the very thing that they're promising to these Lions as a positive. The deal is you pay your dues, you go through this process for years and years and years. And then once you're done, once you've graduated, and once you show that you have the goods, if you want it, you probably got a job for life. The issue is we've had a lot of guys lingering around New Japan for years and years and years who went through that process 20 years ago and they still got the job for life. And there's not that many spots for that many young guys to come up. Even just look at the class, the numerous classes of Lions that are still kind of waiting in the wings and also the LA Dojo guys as well. And I mean, it's only in in the past few years that we've seen guys like Liger or Nakanishi or, you know, um, I don't know, a few others. Iska. Iska leave. And if it weren't for certain talents over the past, you know, six or seven years, like Kenny Omega or AJ Styles and Carl Anderson and people like that getting poached, that other spots would even become available for talent they're wait- that were waiting in the wings. And it has been a criticism of New Japan that they don't cycle people out. Um, you know, that there's certain guys that sit at the top of the card for too long. And there might be some truth to that. I mean, you know, part of the tradition has always been that if you uh, come up in a dojo, it's not seen as a favorable thing to jump to another company. Right. And and with them being the market share leader, where else is there to go where you can, you know, get the same kind of training, the same kind of benefits, same kind of pay in the country? I mean, you're not going to go to NOAA. You're not going to go to all Japan. You know, this is the premier place. So once you're there, you want to protect your spot and stick around as long as you can. And there's only so many spots. There's only so many dates. Right. And there's a lot of guys waiting in the wings. Yeah, what you mean that they have to, they need to pull a trigger on phasing out some of the older guys. That's the dirty secret of it. If you really are serious about a youth movement, like look how long it's taken them to even kind of pull the trigger on show. Yo, Okan, Wato, you know, those are whole generations of guys that it's taken a very long time for them to even implement them and even and the way they have has been pretty minuscule because there's so many guys above them and the dirty secret is that if you want to push youth you got to kill the old guys and there's a lot of people probably listening that don't want to see them get rid of tiger mask and nagata and hanma and makabe and kojima and kojima and minoru suzuki you know, and Hiroshi Tanahashi, all those guys have to go if you want to start pushing the future of the, you know, um, that's just the reality. Yeah. And Tetsuya Naito. <laughs> I'm serious, though. Yeah. That's Hiro- the truth. Hiroki, Hiroki Goto. Hiroki Goto. Ishii. Ishii. Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi. Roman Takahashi's got a broken neck and a, bun- and, and a bunch of, you know, he might be a guy you might want to. I mean, what's the upside? Mm-hmm. Popular guy, but uh, you know, 
You got a lot of talent waiting in the wings, right? Yeah. Especially <laughs> if now. that's the way you want to think about it. If you want to go with the youth movement, you got to get rid of, you got to make space for the, for the youth. Yeah. With LA Dojo, Noga Dojo, you got the Fale Dojo now, Oceanic region. Like they, they have, yeah, three dojos that are just pumping out these young guys that are not enough spots for them. Look at what happened with Carl Fredericks. Exactly. You know, that's going to keep happening unless they uh, make accommodations, you know, and it's not going to be enough to just have guys working once once a month in America or New Zealand. Right. Yeah. They need to get them in Japan. Great question. Lots kind of unpack there. Yeah. Uh, next set of questions here from Rambone Slam Pigs. Says, if you guys consider selling T-shirts with the new podcast logo, my old one is just about worn out. I might be in the market. Um, yeah, gotta see if Pro Wrestling Tees will accept that design. We should. I mean, my my old shirt is almost worn out too. I wear it to work out. <laughs> yeah, so we'll work on that. Also, ask if Kenny and the Bucks are certain- maybe towels. Yeah, for sure. Bring we, the show. We need it. We need to sell towels. Yeah. Um, you asked if Kenny and the Bucks are suddenly free agents and miraculously returned to NJPW, what would be the first program you'd put each in? Oh, that's a great question. Um, hmm. I, I mean, I feel you. Yeah. Well, let's think about it. Uh, let's let's think about it from like a realistic perspective, right? Mm-hmm. What's the soonest they could probably? You know what? I'm thinking that. If we're in in a real life scenario, let's just say like right now, who knows what's going on? Maybe they get let go. Maybe there's some sort of arboration or, you know, uh, non compete. Blah 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 blase blase. I don't know. I don't think I bring them back until the day after Wrestle Kingdom at like say New Year's Dash. Mm. And I would bring them in as the unit, and I'd have them attack somebody probably or come out and face off with somebody and i'm yeah. i'm not sure well i mean i think there's still money in doing some kind of bull club thing with those guys and honestly they were building stuff up with jay white i think jay white versus kenny is the most kind of natural first program to, to go into just with the history of those guys and uh you know jay claiming to be the best bull club leader ever i think you can get um, a cool matchup as one of Kenny's first feuds back. Okada wins the, the the title. I have Kenny Omega go right after Okada day one, mm. and we run it back immediately. We run it back immediately. We do a a new beginning in a major building. Mm. Like I don't know, uh, you know, Asuma Hall, um. Budokan, whatever. One of those major buildings, you know. You do Kenny Omega versus Okada right out the gate. Set things off on fire. That's what I would do. Yeah, then for the Bucks, I mean, throw them in to whoever's going to be the tag team champs at the time. Yeah, uh, that's. I, I have them challenged champions right out the gate. Yeah, I think... Uh, it would be great if Aussie Open would be a champ by the time they come in and you do a Bucks versus Aussie Open. I think it would be a great feud to have for the tag titles. Yeah, and I mean, you know, who knows what's going to go on now, but, like, the wide belief had been (laughs) 
I guess maybe it's up in smoke now. I hadn't even thought of this. Though I'd belief was that, like, come Dome season, we were getting Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that's what you do, is you bring them in and you have them face off with United Empire, you know, right away. But uh, I don't know if I would do that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a ton of things you could do, but... I mean, it might make sense just given all the, like, everything they built up over in AEW. You could just carry that right over. That might work. I don't know. Yeah. But for me, I would try to, like, he's only going to date re-debut one time. I would try to make the most money I could off of it as soon as possible. And what's the one match that everyone wants that if you do it, you're not blowing it because you can do it again still yeah. and make more money off of it. And it would be the it would be the talk of wrestling. Like everyone would want to see that match. That would be the match that like if you if you did it again, it's like holy fuck, New Japan's back. Even if they're not, people are gonna feel like it is. That's what I do right away. Right. And I think also with if the elite ever came back, you would have a, a increase again in the Western expansion and the western you know popularity of new japan and then then you could run your you know your madison square garden do your Russell dynasty do get kenny o, kenny and okada in the u.s for the first time yeah uh, let's go to here from less commission 7252 could you guys tell me if it's a good or terrible idea to have upcoming young lions as heels i get that young lions are full pledge baby faces once they start in the company and their background shows how beloved they are but after the first year, almost to a full year, they can develop a heel personality where they feel that they shouldn't have went through all the training to the show and how good they really are or end their matches in a heelish way by using the ref, eye pokes, etc. Um, you know, I don't think that the baby or that the um, lions are full-fledged baby faces. They don't do very much that indicate that they are baby faces one way or the other aside from just try hard and then get their asses beat and i think the sheer fact that they're underdogs in most situations gives off the impression that they're baby faces but i kind of see them more as like a blank canvas someone who uh you ever play those fable games no i haven't oh i love those games um Oh, I think they're. I think Lionhead Studios like they they went under, and I think they're coming back and making another fable. Mm-hmm. I can be wrong, but um, you know, in that game when you start off, you, like that's a game about making choices, and you can either become evil or good or different variants of that on a spectrum. But like when you start off, you're always kind of just generally like a, a neutral character. That's how I see the lions. I don't see them as fully formed like baby faces i just think they're like these neutral dudes who go out there and try hard they're almost like quasi trainees and they get their asses beat and they're still trying to find their way and i i do think sometimes we see some quasi heelish tactics and attitudes arise out of them just like we see some baby face tendencies but i i wouldn't clap uh uh categorize them in either of those two camps personally yeah i think we've seen depending on the line and the rivalries we've seen guys especially guys like, uh you know i'm thinking about the red narita who, who do get more aggressive and he might not cheat but i think he he'll you know push the five count he'll be more aggressive not, not listen to the referee and that kind of tends to make him lean 
heelish a lot of times when he's wrestling other young lions. And so I think we have seen that over the years, guys like that kind of use that aggression to be more of the heel in the match against other lions. But yeah, I don't think it necessarily would be a bad thing. I don't really want to see these guys doing eye pokes or low blows or anything like that. You know, I'm not totally opposed to this idea. Um, I think it's probably worth trying. Like if you if you have a game plan, maybe you want to give a, a, a guy a little run with some light healdom. Maybe, but you know, here's the thing about wrestling heel. It's easier than wrestling babyface. Right. Yeah. Anybody can anybody can pick it up and learn how to do it um in, in an easier fashion than they can learning how to get over and be beloved and get sympathy. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why they don't have them work heel because some some wrestlers start off their career as heels and then never learn how to do anything else because they rely on the smoke and mirrors so much. So right. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a fine line. Yeah. But may, maybe it might be interesting after a while. It could be. Yeah. Change some things up. Also asked, have you guys ever watched what culture pro wrestling? I went back to watch a Will Ospreay versus Drew Galloway match. That was amazing. And I enjoyed their world cup tournament back in 2017. If you guys haven't, I heavily recommend you to, and every other fan that listens to this podcast every week to watch a few matches from that channel. Love you guys and your hard work of dedication that you guys put into the podcast. You guys rule. Yeah, I've seen some, uh, not a lot, but I've seen a, a few things here and there. And yeah, I, I liked some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, I can't say that I ever watched a full what culture pro wrestling show. I know that they're airing on like YouTube back in the day, but um, yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen the match he's talking about. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I watched some of their matches, some of the stuff they did uh, back then. Uh, didn't really watch, like you said, full shows. It was mainly, you know, whatever match was getting buzz. Um, but, yeah, I do remember that that world uh, tournament that they did had a ton of big stars in that tournament. It's crazy. Yeah, that was a crazy, crazy tournament. <laughs> then uh, last set of questions here from the Dark Soldier. First, it says, hey, guys, today is my birthday. I love a birthday shout out and for you to bury all the frogs. Happy birthday. <laughs> Big birthday shout out to the dark soldier. Thank you for always asking questions and listening to the show every week. Hope you have a great birthday. Uh, as far as burying frogs, uh, Kermit the frog, that guy doesn't know how to work. Yeah, um, I don't have any frogs to bury necessarily, <laughs> but um, yeah, happy birthday and uh, thank you for you know listening to the show and uh, we hope you're having uh, one of the best birthdays ever and hopefully this show brings some uh, you know post birthday holiday enjoyment to your you know feed. Yeah, he asked, "Do you still hope for Osprey versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom and do you hope Osprey doesn't bite him in the match?" Well, Osprey's not the one that did the biting. I, I feel like there's a misnomer here. It was a steel that bit Kenny Omega. I know, but I think he's saying, like, will Osprey oh. go for that, you know, fall in a steel's footsteps? And I see. I miss. I misunderstood. My bad. Um, you know, until we started doing this podcast, I had forgotten about the – I forgot that there was even an Osprey-Omega feud going on. 
<laughs> then when I realized, oh, yeah, they were feuding. Oh, yeah, that was supposed to happen. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I don't know what to expect there at all. Um, I do hope it still happens, but it plans change, kid. Yeah, I mean, I definitely still hope it happens. And it seems like with Kenny in Japan right now, uh, representing AEW for the video game, Things might be at least bright for his future continuing with AEW, so hopefully we continue. We will get that uh, Osprey Omega match. Then he asks, although Kenta is not the wrestler he once was, do you feel he's become more charismatic? I feel as though he's increased his character work and tries to have entertaining shtick in his matches. Do you feel the same? I did like, <laughs> even though I normally wouldn't like this because it's kind of terrible, but I just laughed in that main event the other day. Um, he broke up the the pinfall for the referee by bringing his book out and <laughs> showing it to the referee. Stupid. Um, I just think that I I don't think Kenta's any less or more charismatic. I think Kenta, you go watch his Noah stuff. He was plenty charismatic, and he kicked people in the face as hard as fuck. So, um, but yeah, he has increased his character work because he's had to. So, yeah, I want to say yeah, as far as you know being uh having charisma i think kendo's always had that but i definitely feel like as he's his inner ring has gone down he has found ways to um you know accommodate for that and by doing more character work doing these hilarious promos talking to the cameraman selling his book and stuff like that uh then his last question what is it with okada and njpw screwing australian wrestlers Buddy Matthews had Okada beat in November, and the referee stopped Buddy from kicking too much ass, and Jonah isn't being given a shot at the G1 briefcase despite beating Okada. This is the real conspiracy. Ospreys is a second. I I don't agree. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I don't think there's any conspiracy right now against uh, Australian wrestlers. Yeah, and I don't appreciate that, uh, you know, criticism. <laughs> Racist <laughs> against Australians. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's end up things here with recommended match of the week. So last week for the excursion match, you recommended uh, Will Ospreay versus Ricky Knight Jr. from the Rev Pro 10th anniversary show that happened a couple months ago. Uh, watch this match. And uh, I gotta say, I am I'm not with Uncle Dave. I I didn't throw the full five on this match. I actually went four and a half on this match. Uh, That's still really good, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a great matchup. Uh, obviously, Osprey and Knight Jr. have great chemistry. They're both great wrestlers. They told a, a great story. You know, if Ricky Knight lost, he wouldn't get another shot at the title. This is his last chance to kind of beat Osprey, become the Rev Pro champion, be the new guy, the new face of Rev Pro. And also with an Osprey match, there was a ton of crazy moves, uh, big tombstone from the apron to the table, um, ton of great high flyings and reversals and sequences. I think the thing for me that hurt it was there was three ref bumps in the match, which I, I didn't really feel like all those ref bumps were, were necessary. Uh, towards the end of the match there. And so whenever those ref bumps happened, it kind of threw me out of the match. Uh, but the, the crowd was super hot for the match. Um, all, all Everybody behind RKJ 
Um, and RKJ, he, he hit the, the one-wing angel, V-trigger, and then his uh, his driver to uh, pin Will Ospreay in what was a, a really great match. But for me, just it, did, it didn't hit that four-and-three-quarter, five-star level like uh, I've seen for some other people. But um, four-and-a-half, obviously, still a great match, still a match that will be in contention for um, excursion match of the year. Nice. Um, I definitely need to check that out still. I haven't gotten around to watching it, but, uh, you know, I mean, four and a half is in that, it's still in the range. Yeah, it's, it definitely is. Just that with Dave and a lot of people giving it five, I thought it was going to be, you thought it was going to be a lot better than it ended up being. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, and then you're like, damn it. I only saw a four and a half star (laughs) match. Oh, I I got (laughs) gypped half a star. (laughs) Oh man. So um, you recommended to me for the second time during uh, <laughs> excursion match of the year or uh, recommended match of the, the week, uh, Genchiro Tenryu versus Shinya Hashimoto from August 1st, 1998. This was the G1 Climax Night 2. And uh, again, I, I mentioned it last week, but this is a match that I've seen multiple times in the past. And uh, we saw it. You know, within the past couple of years, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, going back it, this was just a joy to watch. I mean, sub 15 minutes and these guys just go out there and they blast the fuck out of each other. They're just slap and chop and kick and sweep and block and chop and kick. And like, it's awesome. They're just literally beating the crap out of each other. And um, it's it's a lot of chops. Like, if you don't like chops in your wrestling, I, you probably don't want to watch this one. But if you like to see big, meaty men slapping meat, like, this is the match for you. Um, Hashimoto kicks so much ass, even though he looks like Fat Elvis. Like, he's <laughs> he's a badass. And Tenryu, old man Tenryu, is just grouchy and motivated. And these guys just got there, and they, they don't give a crap about it. And, yeah, in a lot of ways... Um, is this on the same level as Ishii and Shibata? No, but is it in some ways like a prototype of what that match would become? Yeah, like it really is. Yeah, I rewatched the match, and yeah, it was freaking awesome. These guys just chopping each other, like you mentioned, tons of chops and strikes, and very hard hitting, very snug. Um, all leading to, to Hashimoto hitting that that big DDT towards the end. But yeah, really awesome matchup to, to watch. Yeah, it's very simple, very entertaining, and if you haven't seen it, it's only like 13 minutes, so it's on New Japan World. Again, this is going to be one of the hardest-hitting matches you're going to see in New Japan. I mean, even in modern times, there's very few matches I can think of that match the intensity and violence of this match. So, um, you know, for those of you that, you know, are like, I'm not that big into, like, classic wrestling or whatever – Trust me on this one. This one is like kind of timeless. You're not going to be disappointed. It's a slug fest, and these guys kick each other's asses. And Hashimoto does pin him with a big DDT at the end, but it's almost like, you know, it, it's the tail end coup de gras, coup de gras after a lot of punishment that these guys doled out on one another. So, really great match. Yeah, and I'm still like, oh, like four and a half. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was an excellent matchup. Dave went four and three quarters at the time. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, so for this week, like we mentioned earlier, uh, my pick for excursion match of the week is the June Kasai versus El Desperado match from Taka Taichi Despi Mania. So that is pay-per-view on NJPW World. I'm sure you can find other ways to watch it as well, but match has been getting a ton of rave reviews. Um, you heard Josh earlier say in, in, in the four and a half, you know, four and three quarter range. So looking forward to it. Maybe five, bro. It's great. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably, I'm maybe I'll rewatch it just to refresh, but I, I might not. Uh, one thing you gotta, you, uh, the post match comments are available for free on New Japan World, and um, I'd recommend watching them because they'll, they're pretty great. And, you know, we talked about, like, adding an edge, adding a wrinkle to the character of Desperado. They definitely helped a lot. And, like, yeah, it was pretty significant. Uh, it's one of the better angles and um, just promos I've seen all year. And that's anywhere, including AEW. So. Nice. Um, my recommended match of the week is going, you know, with all this talk about juniors and dream cards, I thought to myself, you know, couple of years ago we'd been uh when the pandemic first started someone asked us what the uh new japan junior mount rushmore looked like and at the time i think i went something like fujinami tiger mask one sayama um i think i probably went who would i go after that? did you go liger Liger, yeah, Liger, and then um, I would have probably either gone Kanemoto, but I I probably went Prince Devitt. I think yeah, which, I think you did go Devitt, yeah. And I think at this point, with everything that's happened since then, like Hiromu has firmly usurped Prince Devitt on that Mount Rushmore, and I think what when you talk about the four greatest juniors in the history of this company, you're looking at Tatsumi Fujinami, and and then you know Tiger Mask one. Jushin Thunder Liger. And then now, I think we are at the point where I can firmly crown and say, like, it's Hiromu Takahashi, just based on everything. Accomplishments, match quality, all that. So I started thinking to myself, how many times did Hiromu and Jushin Liger ever wrestle one another in a one-on-one match? I know they had the big famous tag team, you know, retirement match, but um, these guys only locked it up one time uh, in singles action. So... With that being said, uh, my recommended match of the week is from Best of the Super Juniors, 27, night two, May 18th. This was the final Super Juniors run for Jushin Thunder Liger, and it is Hiromu Takahashi versus Jushin Thunder Liger in a classic match that went just over eight minutes. Hmm. Nice. Looking forward to uh, checking that out. Actually, you know what? And I misspoke there. I said it's the only time they've ever wrestled. I don't think that's accurate. I just think this is the only singles match that made tape. I think all the other singles matches they had prior to this were during Hiromu's Young Lion phase. Gotcha. Makes sense. But yeah, it should be a fun match to check out. Well, that's going to wrap everything up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to discuss more of the Burning Spirit Tour. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com 
slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. Follow us on Instagram at Social Suplex. Follow me on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. This is Josh's Keeping It Strong Style. Email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.